in a helium setup. <laughs> 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 hey, but Tyler, why don't you negotiate with the boatman that uh, that always uh, you know uh, run between Kosamui and your islands yeah. to, to collaborate with him to ask him Be to just bring you the McDonald's and start up. I, mean, I know. Starbucks. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. I, I do need yeah. to do that. Lakeisha said the same. Like it's totally doable, yeah. and it's not. It's just it's, some tipping, tipping. Yeah, or get yeah. a drone delivery. Yeah, or buy myself a a drone that can make the voyage. Yeah, yeah. And if so, Tyler, I end up visiting you like on a company retreat, it's going to be hilarious because I can't go more than a day without a McDonald's cheeseburger of some kind. Oh it's going to be like extreme fasting. Hey, Chris. Chris, you're supposed time. to be on healthy living, Chris. Junk yes. food, junk food. No junk yeah. food, no processed Only food. Only water Chris. for you. Or green leafy vegetable. Become a rabbit. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, no. We, we, we already did that one. Um, I need my cash register machine. If you guys will let me indulge me to uh, download one really fast. Because we need that. Hold on. Cash and have you done your Twitter? Twitter live? Yeah, I believe so. Please check. Cash register okay. sound effect. Here we go. Hey, please drink some water. Clear your Let's throat. See. Get ready for your lovely voice. There it is. Record. I just found it. Export. Cash. Register. There it goes. Okay. Now we've got a our cash register back. There we go. So uh, where's our air horn? I got to rename the air horn. So, anyone have a hot story they want to share first before we get into all the regular headlines? October 18th Apple event. Oh, yes. The Thank one you. Thing I, I, I saw Sorry, Messi. You were saying? Uh, I was just going to say that the EU approved $1.5 to support the Taliban. And uh, Merkel, Angela Merkel, said that Nobody has interest in the falling apart Afghanistan, even if it means working with the Taliban. So that's what I heard this morning in the news. Yeah. Also, the UN had a big call on uh, some several billions in the same sense to uh, avoid the collapse for humanitarian reasons to uh, support financially Afghanistan. Um, and Pierre, I, I'm using the beta version, but yeah. the Twitter player doesn't seem to show up in my Chrome web browser. I think it works fine on the Twitter app, though. But anyway, yep. just worth noting. an audience. Yeah, that's why I'm telling him. So okay. the some folks DM'd me some interesting tweets bef- since we met last time. I'll just share through these real quick. One, is, as Chris said, and this is in some sense the biggest story for us of the day. I'll retweet it now to everybody. That and this one actually, I just saw myself. Um, yesterday from one of the key people within Apple tweeted this one out that their October event is now official for October 18th. So uh, uh, just less than a week. So is that Tuesday next week, I believe? Five days from now? No, Monday next week. Huh? October 18th. What day is that? Hold on. That would be Monday next week. Okay. And it immediately follows tech news around the world. We meet uh, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. Pacific, and then it starts at 10 a.m. Pacific perfectly. So we will just naturally blow, you know, flow right into that. That 
hopefully works out well for Michael, who loves to join us for the Apple live streams. Mm-hmm. And looking forward to that. That This is the one where they're expected to, well, almost they it's guaranteed they're going to reveal the 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pros with the new processors, whether they call it the M1X or the M2 is up for debate, I guess. But either way, the question is, how fast are they? And they're likely to be pretty fast because if you look at the tweet I just twatted on Twitter of the event, Apple always, as they have always done, give a little hint in the image of the event invitation as to what to expect at the event. And in this time, this is the most obvious hint they've ever given. It looks like you're going warp speed (laughs) when you look at the photo. Uh, If anyone who's ever watched uh, Star Trek you know, knows when you go into hyperdrive, it looks like the stars are flying past you because you're going so fast, you know. And the the image clearly is a, an homage to precisely warp speed or even Star Wars, rather. And that means it's really, 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 really fast. So that gives us an indication that uh, we're expecting some hyperspeed new processors in these new MacBooks. So that's how you uh, interpret Apple invite images there. There's a little example for you non-geeks. <laughs> so um, that'll be fun. Hey, hey, Tyler, there's some other Apple news. Yes. Uh, Bloomberg's reporting that uh, there might be, uh, uh, how do I say it, um, less iPhone 13s uh, shipped than uh, thought because of the component shortages. So I know that uh, the, the stock market futures are trading slightly down on on that, you know, so. Hmm. So the I don't mind it's not due to dem- pardon one second. It's, it's not due to demand. It's due to supply. The, 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 yeah, the, the the component supply. The, you know the the uh, the, sh- the shortage with chips with uh, from uh, Broadcom or from whoever that, you know they're getting the, uh, the you know the uh, Broadcom and Texas Instruments that they they don't have enough chips. And Tyler, it looks like the specs on M1X are leaking because I see that it's a twelve core. 3.35 gigahertz, 12 core, 12 thread. Could be. The, by the way, relevant headline to that was yesterday news broke that a an internal Apple team member is now facing serious jail time and a massive lawsuit for doing precisely that, for their leaks. And they, the person was, um, I believe, was arrested back in March. And interesting, like of all of the leaks that happen over the years, uh, there really re- hasn't been any severe punishment other than people get fired or whatever. And I, I'm, it'll be very interesting to see what becomes of this individual. But leaks were getting really bad with Apple. Uh, they used to really not have many, and it used to be very difficult to get Intel out of Apple. And it's gotten easier and easier and easier over the years until about a year ago, Six months ago, it was really bad. It was. It seemed like everything was getting out. And then they started to address it, and they started planning leaky information to, to catch people. And apparently they caught someone. I think he leaked the M1X because all the, time, the timing's right. Like, um, the leak came out in March, and if he got arrested in March, that lines up. Is it because of remote work that they have, uh, you know, easier way to get it out? Could that too. That certainly could play a role in it. Okay, so the top stories, shall we? Well, there was a few other interesting ones that people 
shared with me. For example, uh, who sent this one in? Uh, a study reveals Android phones constantly snoop on their users. This was Johan. Yeah, so it's a, it's, interesting. Not only Apple. Yeah, it says a new study by a team of university researchers in the UK has unveiled a host of privacy issues that arise from using Android smartphones. The researchers have focused on Samsung, Xiaomi, and Huawei Android phones, and uh, um, with notable exceptions, even when minimally configured, these vendor-customized Android variants transmit substantial amounts of information to the operating OS developer, that would be Google, and to third parties, Google, Microsoft, LinkedIn, Facebook, etc., that have been pre-installed, that have pre-installed system apps. As the summary table indicates, and they make a table of which hardware manufacturers leak to who. And oh boy, is Xiaomi leaking all kinds of shit to everybody. But so is Samsung to a, a similar degree and Huawei. All three of them are leaking all kinds of shit to mostly Google, but also to, in Samsung's case to Samsung, in Huawei's case to Huawei, <laughs> and in Xiaomi's case to Xiaomi, they're leaking to themselves, but also to Facebook, Microsoft. Yeah. And very notably, they say it, there's no way to turn it off. So let me tweet that one out. This is your hourly reminder that Chris uses a burner phone on Clubhouse. <laughs> We're having a security uh, Clubhouse meeting That's right. next Friday. Yes, thank you. So if you click on the title of this room, you will see all the upcoming rooms. And just as Craig said, if you scroll up to next Friday, you will see that there's a security room with Johan and Craig and others. And I will ping Franz from Stockholm to see if he might join. But he's a real typical Swedish reclusive introvert type, as hackers tend to be. But um, yeah, there's there's a lot going on. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday, not Friday. Oh, okay. 20... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Oh, um, is it, yeah. oh, is it Wednesday? Sorry, Wednesday, 20th of October, right? Oh, apologies. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's Wednesday. Sorry. My okay. Tuesday. So there's that one. And let me just keep scrolling down that article because that one just kept a Google spokesperson has provided the following comment. We while we apologize. Oh, while we appreciate the work of the researchers, we disagree that the behavior is unexpected. Oh, really? Oh, really? This is how modern smartphones work. As explained in our Google Play services, the data is essential for core services such as push notifications. So Google, in a sense, because it's based on Android, all that data is needed by Google for Android to operate. So Google has a uh, an excuse, a valid sort of excuse. However, you know, the other names in this, perhaps not so, like uh, the Facebook and whatnot. Anyway, very, very interesting finding. They could design phones that don't do this and work if they wanted to. So yeah, Nokia did. Nokia did in the beginning of the nineties. 
another interesting point since we bring into the security part. Uh, uh, Pegasus is available for the new 1502 build already. Oh, less than 24 hours. Well, that's, this is a great point. Perfect, Johan, because uh, about 12 hours ago, Apple said, hey, we've got a new version of the operating system, and it's urgent that everybody upgrade to iOS 15.0.2 because in this upgrade, it's specifically to plug a zero-day vulnerability. Oh, Data's in the audience. He, he might know something about this. This so, is more of that next-level trolling. Right. So that 15.0.2 that just came out yesterday, Apple says, please update because this will block a zero-day vulnerability uh, that they just became aware of, although perhaps they didn't just become aware of it. This is very likely related to and, and let, let's focus on the point that Johan's making, which it doesn't stop Pegasus. Pegasus is still working even in 15.0.2, meaning it doesn't block the, vol the hole that Pegasus is using to get into the phones. But uh, there was a, a security researcher who a week or so ago was in the news that we read here, where he revealed that he had found three or four zero-day vulnerabilities and brought it to Apple's attention months ago and was very upset with their lack of response to these critical vulnerabilities. And so he said, well, if you don't respond in a timely way, I'm going to kind of force you to by making this kind of well-known publicly. And he did. And he posted his GitHub account with the vulnerabilities, kind of forcing Apple's hands to address these issues very urgently. And we have to assume it would be interesting to see. Uh, it, in the CV, in the uh, update, it says anonymous, submitted by anonymous. <laughs> so it almost certainly is that gentleman who uh, forced Apple to update uh, around these zero-day vulnerabilities. Welcome back, Data. wonder if you have any thoughts on this. Uh, two, two headlines that we just read at the top of the show today. One is that some researchers found that uh, we just tweeted the article out to the Twitter account about uh, that uh, Android phones, namely Huawei, uh, Xiaomi, and Samsung are collecting and sending a whole lot of data to a whole lot of third parties, and namely Facebook and others. And then the, the other headline was the uh, the Apple update 15.0.2 is peg. It still hasn't fixed the Pegasus hole because uh, Pegasus has been reported to still be working today. And also that the, that researcher last week who essentially it seems is the source of the urgent need to update to 15.0.2. Yeah. Uh, um, can you hear me? Okay. Yes. You yeah, sound good. Yes. You sound good. Thank you. Um, yeah. Thank you for, uh, for, having me speak um yeah whoever that researcher may be uh, good on them right yeah um yeah. for doing that uh yes yeah, so, you know th there's been a lot of um there's been a lot of uh, reports going around and, and talking about how this researcher actually um you know, performed this exploit uh in a web browser and um remotely controlled a, a device through a web browser mm. um mm. I mean, this is a little interesting. Um, and uh, either way, 
good on them, but uh, I can speak a little bit about what I have done. I was about uh, to say, I, I, just, I, I just saw I, a I super saw impressive video impressive on your, video YouTube, on your account YouTube account where, where you were controlling you were your controlling phone with your phone no with strings attached, no cables attached, and deleting apps from your phone. Yeah. You have Echo. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's because Data has his speakers pointing at his microphone, I believe. That's okay. So, yeah, I, I was just uh, the, I imagine what you, maybe you want to share more about what you've been revealing on your YouTube channel. Uh, yes, so I have been, um, uh, so I did do a live um, uh, demonstration of a remote code execution that is um, essentially, it, it exploits the trust that we have in our devices. So the trust that we have on our phones and the trust that we have on our computers, for example, we, we believe that, um, well, we, we're secure, right? So let's say we plug in our phones to update them or we plug in our phones to extract the pictures, right? Um, we're just at a Starbucks and we're just charging our phones on our, on our computer. It's a very common thing. Uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've done it many, many times. Even traveling, it's, it's the best way for me to do it at an airport even. Um, and this trust, um, I've actually just posted on my Twitter just now. Um, I, so I've weaponized this trust and I, I am introducing this new wave of vulnerabilities, these threats that I call true trust vulnerabilities, that we do have 100% trust. Uh, we do have 100% authentication. And, um, and because of this, uh, we have full control and full access over whatever it is that's plugged into our phone in this sense, uh, excuse me, whatever's plugged into our computers in this sense, our phone, but it doesn't just stop there. Um, I've been studying this and I've been researching this and I've been, you know, hired by many companies uh, to exploit these, these vulnerabilities. And um, uh, this is a real threat. And, and um, uh, so what I'm saying is I was able to, I was able to control a phone through a web application and um, and have complete control over it, right? Absolute control. And and all just by sending an, an airdropped website to a trusted device, mm. I, mm. I, I had everything. And this is not just, uh, I can do the same thing with an NFC tag. The minute that you take a QR, uh, a QR uh, image, um, uh, you, know, you, you point your camera at it, I can wipe your phone instantly mm. just by mm. having a by by taking a, you know by looking at the QR code because I can embed anything that I want I can embed a link um, and and uh, and and what I'm doing is I'm actually calling back to your local host so what this means is I'm using your own computer against you so all of these cool fancy features that let's just take Apple for example and and I'm not a Microsoft expert by any means so I can't speak on that but I, I am very well versed in, in Apple product um, these these vulnerabilities uh, are I've created are built on Apple internal tools that are provided to us so I'm wiping your phone like uh, with, with an Apple configurator which is provided by Apple the trust that we have so so one uh, th there was a it was a um, um, you know a tech a tech blog that actually said this is perfect for uh, watering hole vulnerabilities which is means you know vulnerabilities executed at the at your workplace, and because people will trust, they send messages to each other, they send uh, you know airdrops to each other easily. You yeah. Know, bring your own device, yeah. 
so this can be so uh, there's a little bit of that but uh but i do i am actually dropping uh my next um round of uh, remote code executions um then this work these are going to be very 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 tough to patch because of this true trust um vulnerabilities do exist and and mm -hmm. my, my mm -hmm. threat so, model is it, yes go ahead the, the long story short for the lay people is that any qr code or any airdrop could make your phone completely vulnerable yeah it will take it over completely and i'll show it remotely I, even remotely even it, yes remotely and that's that's what i will be showing in in, in, in uh, seven days now seven yeah, days so, so i, I yeah, have a, so a disclosure team now yeah. it's kind of worst case scenario that it's i, I don't know how it could be much worse than that <laughs> this is yeah. they could they could turn he could do it a ran, he could do a ransomware version you could. Yes, a you lot could. of yeah, yeah, a lot of people have been yeah. talking about uh, creating malware with this already. Yes. Yeah, I guess. So, you could... Jonathan, can I, can I ask you a quick question? Uh, given uh, given the nature of this platform, um, what vectors exist for uh, you know buffer overruns and things like that in this uh, app? I mean, it's a uh, it's it's your account is just your phone number and it's protected with a six digit code. I haven't done any MITM type sniffing. Um, what does it look like on, uh, you know, at the server? Are these encrypted? Uh, are, are, is anything encrypted or is this just plain text at this point? Uh, we, you, you actually would have plain text uh, to anything on, on these devices because you have 100% trust and, and the handshakes have already, you know, taken place. And uh, so the data transfer is, is verbose. Uh, completely verbose. Um, I'll prove that out. I'll actually make a note of it so I can do that in my life. Thank you. I have a question for Jonathan. Um, and it's more general, not about this exploit. Um, our telephones are essentially two computers. There's a main chip and then a um, Broadcom or Intel communication chip. And I understand that the communication chip could have vulnerabilities. So if you take, for example, I'm on iOS, but if you take, for example, an Android phone and you flash it with a different operating system like Sailfish or yeah, a Linux-based system, are you protected or are you still exposed to vulnerabilities? Yes, I'm glad that you asked that. Um, so seven days I have this disclosure. Um, Know, my team and I will be doing and then in eight days I'll be doing this Android full Android disclosure uh, for LG phones where I have zero day vulnerabilities for over 34 LG devices that doesn't matter your um, and and this this is for operating systems 4.4.4 and higher I can tell you this is valid because I've already sold this technology for five hundred thousand dollars and um, and it works and then I apologize to everyone for what I have done, and this is, I, um, this is, it's not right, um, and, you know, I have a different stance uh, at this point in my life, um, and uh, what I will be releasing is something that people need to know so that they can protect themselves, and it is a hardware-based vulnerability based off of the chipsets. I'm using a resistance cable to actually gain full ADB authorized access to every single LG phone in the world. And I have in detail how I'm doing it. Similarly with Samsung devices, I've even met with Verizon executives and uh, before I actually sold this, um, 
this exploit for Samsung. $1.5 million. Um, it's not right. And it affects everyone in the world. Um, and it is based off of the radios inside of your device. It has nothing to do with the software versions at all. Do do the affected chips have updatable microcode? You go back all the way to um, uh, the AT commands or the vulnerable commands. They need to do a full re-architecture of the chip itself to, in order to correct this. And and even if people update their phones, in many cases, it wouldn't matter. Similar to on the latest versions of the, the iPhone. Versions of the iPhone. And, right. It and, doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And, and I, I've actually um, put out, I've decompiled and recompiled the Pegasus um, spyware from VX Underground on uh, GitHub. And, um, you know, I hopefully by next month, I'll have all of my Pegasus research um, completed. I am working with a team to, to confirm everything as well. But I think you guys would be very surprised to know the disinformation that you've been hearing about Pegasus and Pegasus does still exist. And the research data that I'll be putting out will be put out professionally, responsibly, and um, and, and validated by, by many professionals. Um, this is the big, big issue, and, and we really need to, to focus on it for sure. And there's also another point that the... Some, you know, researchers, when they find exploits, can monetize them if they so choose. And that's what's so interesting about this this uh, Apple update today, the 15.0.2, because they're plugging a hole that a researcher found who that researcher could have monetized that exploit and didn't and brought it to Apple's attention. And Apple didn't initially address it. That's really why that researcher got a little understandably peeved because he could have gone and monetized that exploit and he was bringing it to them on a silver platter and they were kind of not respecting his uh, very polite gesture to bring it to their attention. And so now Apple has responded to them today. In fact, in the past couple hours, uh, after sharing his experience publicly, because Apple was kind of ignoring him, Apple has responded to the security researcher uh, who's now been revealed as Dennis Tokarev, Tokarev, uh, reported, here's what Apple officially responded to Mr. Tokarev. We saw your blog post regarding this issue and your other reports. We apologize for the delay in responding to what he wrote. It's just small potatoes to what can happen next. And I know this sounds like a massive conspiracy theory, but it's not. Yeah. There can be a computer virus so big and spread so fast. Yeah, I don't even know what, what it, you know. No, Our bank accounts could be drained. Yeah, so the response to the researcher continues. We want to let you know that we are still investigating these issues and how we can address them to protect customers thank you again for taking the time to report these issues to us we appreciate your assistance please let us know if you have any questions and then he responds back saying <clears throat> while i'm glad apple appears to be taking this particular situation more seriously now it came it comes across as more of a reaction to bad press than anything else, anything else. meanwhile another I cybersecurity veteran says uh but the this is just way too I think Craig's talking to somebody in his kitchen. But the way Apple handled 
this whole process, given that its bug bounty program is more than five years old, is not normal and should be and should be considered normal, according to a cybersecurity expert who essentially invented the concept of bug bounties more than 10 years ago while she was at Microsoft. Um, yeah, it was, it's a little peculiar how Apple has dealt with this particular one. Anyways, um, but as you heard, it didn't read an article that they did stop paying or it was taking a really long time. That as well. Some, some, yeah, Apple, like every big company has, he participates in bug bounty programs and some, uh, security researchers were saying, Hey, we've reported some bugs that you had a bounties for, uh, where's the bounty? <laughs> uh, they had stopped paying or very delayed payments and whatnot. So it's, and by the way, the vulnerability, this a zero day vulnerability that this researcher found, he should have been rather handsomely rewarded by Apple for doing that. That would be the norm. That would be incredibly standard. And it doesn't appear that he has been compensated. And he barely just now in the past few hours got a response from Apple. So, right. So. And, and that was, I, I believe, um, if I'm not mistaken, that was for the, the, uh, the previous vulnerability that they, that they had ignored. Right. Um, right. I, like, yeah, I don't believe this researcher has been revealed that for this, uh, 5.0.1 exploit, I, as far as I'm, you know, it was, um, Right, so that the, this researcher hasn't been um, exposed yet, or you know, named yet. But yes, you're right, Tyler. The the the, the one that was actually wronged. Um, yes, I I agree with you. That is horrible what they've done. Yeah. So just just as a fun aside, if if these exploits are are on GitHub, that means Codex could be learning. From them, so sooner or later <laughs> we're going to have no code. Uh, zero click zero days. <laughs> yes, what Eli is pointing out is there are tools that make it very easy to take existing code and uh, put it in the hands of practical lay people. It just is dissolving the technical barriers and boundaries that enable people to become to execute. And now it eventually it's, it's getting easier and easier to become a the a developer, so to speak, a coder, so to speak, or a hacker, so to speak, the tools are getting more and more powerful, more and more easier and putting it in the hands of more and more people. Previously to do exploits, uh, it would require a considerable amount of knowledge and expertise, and that barrier is dissolving. And so that's the concerning bit. And the same thing's happening in um, genetic engineering and all kinds of processes, uh, you know, tech is getting easier and easier in all kinds of fronts. Similarly, robotic arms. It used to be incredibly challenging to program a robotic arm to build a car, for example. And now there's a lot of effort being put into making that process incredibly simple. So, um, it, yeah, so it's similarly, the, the, this because there are programs out there that are learning programs and making it, as he says, no code. Uh, you can program without knowing the code, and it's sucking in 
uh, a lot of code out of GitHub, and then you just say, "Oh, I would like to hack everybody's phone. Could you, could you please hack everybody's phone, please?" <laughs> and they would say, "Oh yeah." You could probably just ask GPT four. Yeah, that's, that's what that's what me. I was leading up to. Is GPT three already has a new ver? You know, there's kind of a related sister. Uh, <clears throat> um thing that they revealed here that we live streamed when it was announced where you could just tell it to write a program based on what your needs are and it would do it and that's what Eli's pointing to is it's not far off uh, by connecting these dots in the background that you somebody could say hey make me a program that will let me hack into my sister's phone and you know there you go bada boom bada bing so uh and as Craig was saying <clears throat> If somebody wanted to get really malicious, they could essentially, because they have full control of your phone, um, you know, have key logging and then tell the phone to infect other phones so that the first device becomes similar to, you know, uh, any virus, any, any like COVID, where somebody who's infected can infect many more people. You could program one device to infect many other devices. Many of us Many of remember the Sasser worm from Windows days. It was like you, you got it and it would infect the entire network. Right. And that's where right. that's, that's, that's what Craig was related. That could easily happen in this case when you have full root control of a device and program it to infect other nearby devices on, onward and onward and onward. And next thing you know, every iPhone's been controlled by, you know, somebody who's sucking up all of the through the key logging information, all of your banking details. So it's a map. Tyler, Tyler. That's true. That's true what you're saying, Tyler. Uh, This, um, this goes deep. I mean, even in my own home, uh, I've got uh, more than nine Apple devices. And um, every one of the Apple devices has a trust associated to them. So if I'm going to stream something to my Apple TV, there's a trust, there's a pairing code. And everything that I can do on my Mac because handoff exists, um, which, of course, if anybody doesn't know, it's whatever you're doing on one device hands it off to the next device. And it is built in now to our new operating systems. Um, it, what happens is uh, we can remotely wipe everything because we are trusted to do that. And Apple's policies even say uh, it, 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 that we are allowed to back up uh, remove, uh, delete, and update um, on a trusted network. That's their model. They actually have this built in, and somebody actually posted that on my Twitter. It was it was actually someone that was trying to be, uh, you know, kind of I guess you can call them a hater, but but they actually were very informative, saying that this is what Apple does. They they create trust networks within your home, and it's called Companion Link. So the background daemon is called a companion link, which links everything up, and you can wipe out everything in your home in no clicks. Can so I say real. something there? Just really quick. Sure, Pierre. Yeah, so I think data, you're, you're, you're onto something, uh, clearly. And I'm not a hater, but I, I'd like to, to, to just clarify that for it to work, the device needs to be, you know, you need to trust the computer or the, the yeah, the computer you're, you're plugged into for this to work. I, and this is, this is 
this is clearly there might clearly be an issue there in terms of how the, the whole thing has been designed like the, the trusted network but that means that you can't have access to any apple device anywhere in the world it, the, the device needs to have to have trusted the computer first that can be there are many issues there are many uh, situations where uh, you can see you know for instance if you have a co-worker plugging your plugging his phone into your computer and for debugging or for coding and then they trust your phone they, they trust your computer and sometime you know years later that means you will have access to his device so that's clearly an issue that there needs to be some some input on the user's side to trust the actual computer before you can run that exploit i just wanted to confirm that you, do you agree it's it's the case i'm not saying I'm it's not, not saying yes it's not, no no, no. It's, yes yes I, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. I, I agree that is the case and that is the issue um because uh, what I will be showing in, in this next um, live is that I will be sending through SMS, I will be sending a link that is going to wipe out all the devices that I have for the demo. This will be an SMS text message, and I will use the trust network in my own home that will wipe out the devices live for everyone and take everything before, I will take everything from the device before I wipe it out. And that's the issue, right, is we're abusing... I am abusing your own trust network and I'm sending a message from the outside of your network and coming into it. So yeah, for those, right. if, to just one second, right. Ellis, I just want to encourage folks to follow data on YouTube, <clears throat> which is kind of where he's, you know, doing these reveals and showing his work and bringing the receipts and everything. It's interesting to watch. It's not normal. It's not. It's kind of unprecedented to see a researcher kind of reveal use a YouTube channel to make these level of reveals. It's quite quite a cool channel to watch if you want to learn a lot about this. And thank you for sharing everything here, Data. It's uh, it's 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 educational to say the least. LS. Yeah, and I agree with it wholeheartedly. I mean, I'm surprised Google hasn't cut you know shut them down, but. Um... I, I just think to push back on society as a whole. Yeah. whole and can yeah, I? Okay. I just need to push back on society as a whole. Because we've always had this. And I, so everyone knows in the room, people, I'm greater than 42. And, you know, African American in America. So it's been a hard life, but it's getting better. But I know tech very deeply. I know defense very deeply, globally, China, everywhere. And you're right. We've always had this. And, I appreciate him for at least highlighting it. Companies need to step up, be more transparent, do what they say. But I wanted to address something about the no-code, low-code mm -hmm. issue because I've been fortunate to get into the priesthood of coding, so to speak, and I don't like it. And when I'm talking about hierarchy or societies, I want democratization of AI and everything. I want average people to be able to code an iOS or, 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 you know, mobile app without having to, to economically, you know, sell their daughter or, or son off to do it. At the same time, we are also going to have security issues. But I've been in crypto since 2010, in this space, and I knew quantum would come and crack it. I, I've said this publicly, said it in books. I, you know, even the government, the U.S. government came after, I mean, I said it will crack it. it it's inevitable. So when we, we are always going to have these systems and I, and I just, and then, you know, I'm just popping in for a second to see, is this more of a philosophical discussion or a deep dive? Cause yeah, we're always going to have these issues. And I think 
Good people will try to do good things and share light and sunshine things for the greater purpose versus their own. Because their own, that's easy to accomplish if you have, you know, if you're gifted smartly on anything. You can just accomplish anything these days for money. But are you trying to do something else? Because you will end your life on this earth. Everyone does. We're born to die. And what have you done on this earth? And have you made the world better? You know, have you dealt with your own spiritual self? And are you, you know, trying to make it better? That's what you do, Tyler. That's why I'm in the room. Because time is the most valuable thing. Money is not to me. It never has been. Nor is knowledge. It's actually time on this earth. What do you do with it? So I'm saying that to kind of point it back to, um, I think what Eli said, we will get to this no code, low code, which makes it easier. We're going to systems, layers and, and languages that will make it simpler. That will be trusted networks, as Data is talking about, that will make it easier to get into your wearables. But, you know, hopefully and keep hope alive, humanity can always strive better to make defenses against this. And when they point it out, companies need to recognize. I mean, I, I agree with that. They just need, I don't care who they are. I will recognize the, the vulnerability and say, shit, I didn't know. Damn, thank you for helping me. Here's some money and come work for me, you know? Instead of this ego shit and this this sort of classism that we're greater, we're smarter because we're legacy systems. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, the, that's the bigger issue. I, is how Apple responded to this researcher. It's, um, I, I think it's because they've put themselves into a corner with their whole marketing image of privacy, 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 and it's been... They've been embarrassed and, and exposed. I think, the, I, think the, I think the cold hard facts, though, Tyler, is that there's just so many zero days out there that they can't afford. Well, it's not that they can't afford to pay the bounties. It's that the bounties are no longer meaningful because there's so many. Because remember, I was telling you that right around March of last year, they said that the price of iOS zero day exploits plummeted because there was oversupply. <laughs> and so like what I'm getting at is they're getting so many of them that they're not paying the bounty hunters and they're taking their time patching them now. That, that statistic is like time to burn it and start a, start fresh. Okay, so uh, that was a long uh, roundabout on the Apple with their upcoming devices <laughs> and their leaks. And, and hopefully Santa will be real nice to us still. Yes. <laughs> so the second biggest story of the moment is... From the Intercept, where the Intercept publishes Facebook's secret blacklist of 4,000 dangerous individuals and organizations that users are barred from speaking favorably about. Well, say what? To you're not allowed to. T Here we go. Experts say the public deserves to see the list, a clear embodiment of U.S. foreign policy priorities uh, that could dis proportionately censor marginalized groups. Here we go. To ward off accusations that it helped terrorists spread propaganda, Facebook for, has for many years barred users from speaking freely about people and groups it says promote violence. The restrictions appeared to trace back to 2012 when in the face of growing alarm in Congress and the UN about online terrorist recruiting, Facebook added to its community standards a ban on quote-unquote, organizations with a record of terrorist or violent criminal activity. This modest rule has since ballooned into what, what's known as the Dangerous Individuals and Organizations Policy, a sweeping set of restrictions on what Facebook's nearly 3 billion users can say about an enormous and ever-growing roster of entities deemed beyond the pale. In recent years, the policy has been used 
at more rapid clip, including against the president of the United States and taken on an almost totemic power at the social network, trotted out to reassure the public what, whenever paroxysms of violence from genocide in Myanmar to the right of Capitol Hill are linked to Facebook, most recently following a damning series of Wall Street Journal articles showing the company knew it facilitated a myriad of offline harms, a Facebook vice president cited the policy as evidence of the company's diligence in the internal memo obtained by the New York Times. But it, but as with other attempts to limit personal freedoms in the name of counterterrorism, Facebook's DIO policy has become an, unaccept, an unaccountable system that's disproportionately punishes certain communities, critics say. It's built atop a blacklist of over 4,000 people in groups, including politicians, writers, charities, hospitals, hundreds of music acts, and long-dead historical figures. A range of legal scholars and civil libertarians have called on the company to publish the list so that users know when they are in danger of having a post deleted or their account suspended for praising someone on it. The company has repeatedly refused to do so, claiming it would endanger employees and permit banned entities to circumvent the policy. Facebook did not provide The Intercept with information about specific threats to its staff, despite Facebook's claims that disclosing the list would endanger its employees. The company's hand-picked oversight board has formally recommended publishing all of it on multiple occasions as recently as August. Because the information is of the public interest, The Intercept has reviewed a snapshot of the full DIO list and is today publishing a reproduction of the material in its entirety. With only minor redactions and edits to improve clarity, it has also published an associated pub policy document created to help moderators decide what posts to delete and what users to punish. Oh, wow. So there's a, not only is there the list, there's a policy document for Facebook moderators that is now made public, which is the moderation guidelines that they use to decide which posts to delete and what users to publish uh, to punish. Facebook puts users in a near impossible position of telling them they can't post about dangerous groups or individuals, but then refusing to publicly identify who it considers dangerous, says the uh, co-director of the Brennan Center for Justice and Liberty. The list and associated rules appear to be clear embodiment of American anxieties, political concerns, etc., Show us the list. Where's the list? Here it is. Facebook dangerous individuals and organizations list. Without further ado, drum roll, please. Uh, yeah, it's a very, very long list. It's a spreadsheet. It looks like a, an export of a, oh my dear Lord, it's 4,000 rows is a lot of rows in a spreadsheet. Yeah. It's a big um, PDF export of a Google sheet, basically. And it's, my goodness, uh, just looking at the letter A. Um, because it's alphabetically sorted. Oh my goodness, everything in the A's is very m Middle Eastern, like uh, Al Manar, Al Iza, Al Hur, Al Gazawa, Al Frakan, Al. It's <laughs> a whole lot of uh, Middle Eastern content in the A's. And then when you get into the B's, it's a whole bunch of things I've never heard of, like uh, Blue Lagoon Group, Blue Sky Aviation, Boneyard. Uh, just a ton of content I'm not familiar with. And then you get into the seas and it's like Communist Party of India, Communist Party of the Philippines, etc., uh, etc. Et so it's a very, very long list. So there's no point in uh, going on about that. So I will tweet that document out for everybody to the Tech News Twitter account who want to see the full list of the 4,000 
bad people uh, on Facebook's ba- bad boy list. R- rather interesting that uh, the reason that Facebook didn't want to uh, clamp down on communications that uh, were part of the Rohingya genocide was that they didn't want to interfere in free speech. Oh, good. Rather pointed point there. The list seems to create two desperate systems with the heaviest penalties applied to heavily Muslim regions and communities. And that was my first impression by looking at the list was this is wildly disproportionately um, Middle Eastern in nature. But I could be wrong because that was just my first cursory glance at the whole document. So I just shared that one. That's a really interesting revelation. The next one. Um, is Bloomberg says they have sources, as somebody said at the beginning of the hour, that Apple will likely cut its projected iPhone 13 production targets for 2021 by 10 million units due to a shortage of Broadcom and Texas Instrument parts. Was that Shahin who shared that news? So Bloomberg and others sharing that one. No. Okay. The next one is from that from CoinDesk that and the headline is that Coinbase announces it will let users buy, sell and showcase Ethereum based NFTs by the end of the year. So another big platform going big into NFTs. And <clears throat> it's starting to be a question of who hasn't launched NFTs at this point. I guess Google uh, has Facebook if they haven't, I, I imagine they will. Oh, but when they will, it'll likely be kind of their own proprietary, non-Ethereum kind of tech version, more simplified version. Who else? Uh, Ty- yeah. Tyler, I don't see Tyler. how these guys can do it without solving the authenticity problem. Yeah. I mean, how do you know what you're buying is not also offered in some other right. chain? Right, fair point. Yeah, Twitter uh, and I believe TikTok have both announced uh, NFT projects in the recent, in about a week ago. Yes, LS? Yeah, I was just going to add the one thing, Tyler, sorry, because I'm trying to cook a little bit, um, about the labeling of the names, you know, in the Middle East and, and so forth. And most of that in AI or, or deep learning is, is supervised or unsupervised learning, um, which is interesting because they're labeling it. But they, what's coming soon is inference which can determine that just because the name is, you know, Arab this, Arab that, or whatever, that is not a bad actor. And that's intriguing that they just use this as a codification for some coder that just labeled everything in in an Excel spreadsheet, a database or or QML to do that. And it it just frustrates me. And it's part of today's point earlier about these exploits, because when a legacy system and people are thinking the same way, they're going to do the same thing. Where we're heading to is, is, is higher. It's an inference learning quantum level. And, and that will be scarier. And I, I'm just, I'm at, you know, I'm just trying to advocate and, and, and ring the fire so all data scientists and, and computer scientists be aware of what's coming so we can help keep this in check. No matter while I live and breathe, but I can do my own thing. But it, it's coming quickly, much faster than even I thought. That's all. And it'll get even more biased, Tyler. It'll get even worse as we talk about it. That's all. Okay. So next up is, oh, Jeremiah shared uh, a tweet about this Coinbase news that Coinbase is getting into NFTs. His tweet says, Coinbase is launching an NFT marketplace. Where else will they 
where where else will we see this? My predictions, Adobe, Behance, Amazon, eBay, Getty, Facebook marketplaces. Also, our NFT purchases will display on Twitter, which they've already, yeah, as he correctly says, that's underway. TikTok, which is already partially happening, Facebook and LinkedIn. I completely agree, as usual, with my friend Jeremiah. Okay. How, how will we know when we reach peak NFT? <laughs> I think we're getting close. Uh, it's it's similar to when in 2006 and seven, when every billboard had the Twitter account and Instagram account logos. When there's an NFT of an NFT of an NFT, we'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Eli. <laughs> so the next one is that Samsung announces its Galaxy Unpacked Part 2 event will be held virtually October 20th at 7 a.m. Pacific time. Samsung has sent out invitations for an event it is holding online Wednesday, October 20th called Galaxy Unpacked 2 Electric Boogaloo. And what are they going <laughs> to announce at this event? Samsung has just sent out the invites with Samsung's announcements. We now have an Apple event on Monday, a Google Pixel 6 launch event on Tuesday, and now Samsung's event on Wednesday. We got a threefer coming up, a hat trick of big tech events. Uh, in addition to the event invites image, Samsung's newsroom. Has Apple ever done a Monday event? Yeah, it's not, it's not characteristic. They normally do Tuesday, but I think they couldn't do it because Google's Pixel 6 <laughs> event was set for Tuesday. This is just like uh, high school, man. I'm having a party on this night. You can't have it on this <laughs> night. <laughs> and Chris, uh, one point real quickly, um, and I, I shouldn't say this because I'm neutral to politicians, but we'll know to Eli's point when we get to the max of NFTs. When Trump says, you know, you can support me because I'm running an NFT for my oh, real campaign. Oh, by the way, campaign. on, that, on <laughs> that point, a friend of mine who's a Swedish parliament member did his fundraising exclusively through Bitcoin. See, that's what I'm saying. That's when we know. I'm sorry. It's just I've been there. That's when we know when it starts becoming mainstream for politicians yeah. to say. I should bring him in. He was uh, a member of the Liberal Party in, in Sweden's. Riksdag, the parliament, and he was kind of no, you know, notable for having done the what is thought to be the world's first crypto, you know, political fundraising for a you know campaign, crypto campaign finance funding. I, I although I, don't, I imagine he won't be the last. And you're right if a if a politician ever were to do. A, an American politician were to ever do that, I think it would be pheno a phenomenal success because that would send an incredibly huge signal to the crypto community. And I think they would jump all over that. And by the way, buying political influence through NFTs itself is just a, a true, like lobbying through NFTs. It kind of blows my mind, the whole concept. So Br bribery on the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too close. Too soon. It hasn't even happened yet, and it's too soon. Our users are... Sam, Samsung made an announcement about this upcoming event by saying, our users are multifaceted and live life in so many colorful, interesting, and unique ways. <laughs> As such, the technology they use every day should reflect their individuality. Join Galaxy Unpacked 2 on October 20th to see how Samsung is opening a new experience up new experiences for self-expression through technology. Okay. 
Get ready to express yourself in all kinds of new colorful ways with Samsung. And the next one is from Coindesk that Stripe begins hiring a crypto team to build the future of Web3 payments three years after ending Bitcoin support. Payments company Stripe, arguably the largest in the world, has begun assembling a crypto engineering team to chart its future in digital assets. The team, described in LinkedIn posts and job listings, oh boy, somebody got into the receipts already. Let's see what it says. Uh, will be run by Guillaume Pansin, Stripe's former head of engineering for banking and financial products. He's looking to hire at least four staffers to help plot Stripe's crypto strategy. Those engineers, quote unquote, will design and build the core components that we need to support crypto use cases. The job post said crypto is brand new team at Stripe. Very interesting. Yeah, and they even did a tweet about it. Multi-coin approach. One thing the company on the company's mind is the need to avoid picking favorites, the source said. Makes sense. Stripe already supports an array of more traditional online payment options. It wants to remain tech neutral when it comes to crypto. When it comes to crypto, the source said, meaning they'll accept multiple coin types and everything, which makes a lot of sense. Many business and users already rely on and trust in Stripe. This gives us a massive opportunity to be at the forefront of a new wave of innovation. And basically, to sum it up, it will allow Stripe account holders to receive crypto as a form of payment. So currently, if you're a Stripe user, you can only accept fiat currencies, and I'm no doubt they get requests every day. Could you please allow me as a Stripe account holder to accept cryptos as a form of payment so I can sell my goods and products and services and events and everything in and accept crypto in form of payment. So I, I imagine they've gotten a little tired of hearing that request every day for at least a year now. And so now they're going to do it. But which, by the way, is huge because then this this has quite substantial implications, actually, and could actually, once people fully grok it, will put upward pressure on the price of cryptos and probably uh, Bitcoin disproportionately because there's millions of websites that use Stripe for collecting payments, right? Millions, millions and millions, tens of millions. And as soon as all of those tens of millions of websites are able to accept Bitcoin through their Stripe accounts, that means millions and millions and millions and millions, including Clubhouse, by the way. Clubhouse itself, the tip jar is powered through Stripe. So that means Clubhouse, as one of those tens of millions of websites that use Stripe, will now you will now be able to tip me in cryptos through the tip jar, as an example. Very, 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 very simply and easily, all Clubhouse will have to do, it will literally take them one minute, less than one minute, to log into their Stripe account, Stripe account and enable a little toggle that says accept cryptos uh, into the account. And then my tip jar will magically accept cryptos. See how powerful that is when millions and millions of sites, Clubhouse being only one of tens of millions of sites, will now be able to accept Bitcoin, for example. That means a huge percentage of the internet websites that today are not able to accept Bitcoin or cryptos as forms of payments will be able to. 
So we will see a lot of more pitches in the room here when we actually can pay you that Bitcoin. Ah, right. Now we can actually <laughs> actually accept the one Bitcoin payment for people to pitch their products and services here in tech news around the world. It's But it's, uh, I think once people connect those dots, so, you know, the price of Bitcoin could have upward pressure as a result. Because now, now essentially the web generally, to oversimplify, will be able to accept Bitcoin as payment. And... It could because, by the way, if we have tip jars right here in Clubhouse, for example, I have almost everyone does at this point, do they not? At least they have the option to have the tip jar. <clears throat> if you're able to receive your tips in Bitcoin, for example, then we can start tipping each other in Bitcoin with incredibly small transaction fees, if, if none at all, to each other in Clubhouse. And we could start, oh, I owe you some money for whatever. Oh, whatever. Here's some Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's splishing and splashing Bitcoin to each other here in Clubhouse. And now, is that not one of the main functions that people use fintech apps for internationally? Oh, I, hey, mom, you need some money? Fine. Uh, log into Clubhouse. I'll send you some Bitcoin. Yes. Tyler, that's a super cool observation because you know that you know that Europe did not and, and does not have access to the send money feature on Clubhouse yet. Like it, it, in certain countries, it doesn't have access to it for the whole time that I've been on this app almost a year now. I don't have the send money feature, even though Clubhouse has been saying that everyone's going to get it. But the regulation of certain countries yeah, it, won't allow it to come yeah, in, which makes it unfair. It does make it unfair. It's because Stripe isn't in every country yet. I think they're in 40 countries. No, it's in Netherlands, oh. but it's not. It's it's something okay. else because I know Germany and France were fighting to even have Clubhouse in. I believe it's something else. I, I mean, I'll do a little deep dive, but it's it's not. It wasn't accepting it. Mm -hmm. And Carl, you had an interesting point here. It's Carl not on stage. He DM'd me an interesting point that, you know, if you tie your Bitcoin address to your Clubhouse account, which has your email and your phone number, now you've de-anonymized your, your crypto account, essentially. So, the... Shots fired, Carl. Shots fired. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just participating through the, the DMs. So, the the <laughs> next... he He just said that he's lurking. Um, the next article is from Engadget that one password, which is a clever website to store all of your passwords and whatnot, has launched a new feature that they call PSST, P-S-S-T exclamation point, which lets users share login credentials with just a link, even those who don't have a one password account. So now you can enable people to log into your accounts by sending them a link that doesn't reveal your password even if they don't have a 1Password account themselves. Very, very clever. Password sharing in the workplace and at home is a common practice, especially in the work-from-home era, in the COVID era of work-from-anywhere. Uh, but doing so securely can be tricky. 1Password aims to address that with its new feature called Psst. Very cool. Very cool. And a really... Van... Net Netflix is rejoicing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have you seen some of, like have you seen some of the uh, like training videos about p password sharing? It's like uh, 
you know, Sue's about to go on vacation and she forgot she's got to wrap up a project. Right before she leaves, she needs to tell Bob that she needs to finish this up. She remembers that, you know, she always uses this same password everywhere. And she gives it to him anyway. And then Bob's like all creeping in her shit. (laughs) Yeah, not a good idea. The next one is from Waze, the car app that Google paid a bit. It's an Israeli traffic, real-time traffic app, Um, which I had the pleasure of meeting uh, in their office when they were a tiny, tiny startup. And boy, did they get very big very quickly because they were able to track all the cars on the road in practically real time to tell you the best route to drive with the least amount of traffic. And in LA, that is a critical app. (laughs) That's the most important app of all if you live in Los Angeles. So Waze was acquired by Google for a billion dollars, which made my buddy Jason Ball very happy as one of the investors. And Waze is now announcing something they call Drive with Headspace feature letting users choose from five moods and an accompanying custom Spotify playlist with content from Headspace. Daily commutes to the office can be exhausting and depending on the amount of traffic you're dealing with, very stressful. So now you can set your mood as you drive and you can tap into Headspace, which is another app helpful. It's kind of like a meditation app or Spotify playlist in the app. The five moods are aware, bright, hopeful, joyful, and open, which I was hoping they would have gloomy and dark. That that would suit my commute style. Uh, I can't wait for to come out. We have to wait for version two for the uh, the real uh, gothic, the goth, the goth version, dark mode. <laughs> I want the dark mode mood. <laughs> Uh, with the themes applied, Waze will be also be able to give directions with Headspace's mindfulness teacher, Eve Prieto, as a guest voice. So now you can have a much more soothing experience as you sit in Los Angeles traffic. And I was just going to add, I think this is brilliant. And I don't know why these cities, when Waze first launched, why LA didn't, didn't put more money but these smart cities because a lot of... And you know, Tyler, a lot of traffic and accidents are spent on trying to search something because you're reacting frustrated to the traffic. And so you're looking at your phone. So I think this is a um, predictive manner. So you already have that setting and you don't have to spend time looking at your phone. And doing I think that. it could get even far more interesting very soon if it taps into your smartwatch and it notices that you're having a, a heartbeat, heart rate spike due to some road rage incidents and it could oh my god and or that meeting you're late for it's called your wife it's called your wife. <laughs> okay chris stop <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be very interesting in the near future why is the van doing a hundred <laughs> well it could go both ways where if it notices you're driving erratically then you know it, you're, it could tell you, you know, you need to chill out and uh, your heart rate's going up. Could, things could get very interesting in the near future with all these. Are you hungry? Do you need a, do you need a McDonald's or a Subway? <laughs> the next one is from the Wall Street Journal that Francis Hoggins' lawyer says that the SEC, Securities Exchange Commission, has been communicating with her lawyer over her claims about Facebook. And they're particularly interested in the one particular 
uh, whistle blow that she did where she said that the Facebook was not being fully transparent about the decline of young users on Facebook, which you'll recall, I pointed out, that's the actual true classic whistleblowing one that the Wall Street Journal seems and everyone else seems to not be paying too much attention to, but it surely is the one that the SEC is paying attention to. As they said themselves in this Wall Street Journal article. So the Atlantic is up next and it says Slack has changed corporate culture, acting as a Trojan horse that flattens the communication hierarchy largely to the benefit of employees. Interesting, somewhat obvious point. In 2014, the executives at the brand new startup called Andela made a decision whose consequences they would only understand much later. Let me guess. And so this is a this uh, a piece from the Atlantic has a really beautifully done animated graphic at the front, which is worth the price of admission alone. And the headline says, Slackers of the World Unite, Why Employees Love the Software and Bosses Don't, by Ellen Cushing, and illustrations by Maria Chimishikyan, who, Maria, kudos, that is a really beautiful illustration that you made here for this piece. It, it looks like that could be an NFT artwork in and of itself. Um, yeah, so it talks about this startup, Andela. And where they made this decision, they would only understand much later. And Della's model was to recruit and train promising African engineers, then place them at Western tech firms, which meant its employees and clients were scattered across time zones. It desperately needed a way for its distributed workforce to share information and make decisions easily and asynchronously, ideally without subjecting anyone to a deluge of emails, so the company started using Slack. The maker of the chat software had recently become one of San Francisco's trendiest new companies based on a promise to make work communication more transparent and fluid. And at, at Andela, it did. As the company grew, Slack became its central nervous system, the place where business was conducted and where the company's culture was formed. Over time, it, bega- it became the site of a workplace revolt. As the company's fellows, engineers in training, began to agree that they were being mistreated. The complaints started in private messaging groups, where they'd discuss priorities before big meetings in order to act as a sort of block in front of senior leadership. And when the fellows stopped being invited to those meetings, they created a private Slack channel where they'd air their grievances, especially about pay. In the summer of 2019, a glowing BBC article misrepresented how much of the fellows were paid, saying they made a third of what the clients paid, Andela, oh boy, when in fact the amount varied and was sometimes lower. First, the general Slack channel lit up with complaints, mostly from employees who who had been talking amongst themselves about the issues for months. I would like to know, did Andela at any point in time tell any news source we get paid one third, Wrote, wrote one person, this info has been flying around for a long time, and it does not seem to bother Andela. Yeah, and I imagine this article from the Atlantic must mention uh, Apple, who it absolutely must. Sure enough, it does. Here it is. If it, and if you're a boss, it can be scary. In August, Apple blocked employees from starting Slack channel devoted to discussing pay equity, citing a policy that Slack activity must advance the work, deliverables, or mission of Apple departments and teams. Channels about dad jokes, pets, and gaming were left alone. 
And we covered that headline when it broke, yeah, back in August. And indeed, companies are realizing that initially Slack seems great, but it definitely does empower the employees to coordinate in ways that they might not anticipate that they wouldn't be able to do traditionally and uh, put put power back in the hands of the employees. Although if you're a very crafty, clever uh, executive with, a, with some savvy administration skills, you could certainly use all of this to your advantage uh, if you knew how to. But yeah, it's a really interesting piece about how Slack is changing the power dynamics inside of companies. So the next one is Microsoft says it mitigated a, oh, that who cares about that one? The next one is from TechCrunch Atomic, which offers payroll APIs for consumers to connect their income to services such as neobanks, raises $22 million. That's going to get interesting, where you're now going to have a whole bunch of new APIs to tap into neobanks. So the, these are whole new arms and legs and tentacles to spread neobanks into everything else. And that's going to give, here comes the next wave of disruption that gives asymmetric advantage to these neobanks. Already the neobanks have a bit of an advantage over the tr traditional banks in some senses. Technologically speaking, but now uh, when other startups start building APIs to build bridges and on-ramps and off-ramps between the neobanks and everybody else, forget about it. Forget about it. The traditional banks are now at a severe technical disadvantage to the neobanks when all of these APIs start connecting these on-ramps and off-ramps between neobanks and everything else that's connectable. really wild. For example, your, your, well, already, I'm sure many uh, companies can already do direct deposits into neobanks. That's already happening. But doing things with NFTs and doing things into, uh, and they're all just, they're all starting to add cryptos now. They're all adding stock trading. Uh, it, there's no end in sight into what they'll be able to do. So the next one is a Mexico City-based buy-now-pay-later startup called Nello raises $20 million. And I didn't, there you go. Mexico's got a buy-now-pay-later. And Coindesk has an article. It's quite interesting. UK Gambling Commission is investigating soccer NFT trading service called So Rare for failing to obtain licenses that they themselves said they didn't need. So why are you investigating it? You said they don't need them. And now you're saying you might need them. So Rare says it does not offer regulated gambling. So we don't need uh, uh, gambling uh, licenses. We're not doing any gambling. We are digital trading cards, just like baseball cards, just like sports cards, you know, that people trade. And they don't need gambling licenses. Does Tops? Tops who makes the baseball trading cards, right? They're printed on paper. They come with a stick of gum. They've been around since, I don't know, the 1920s. And people trade baseball cards. And they have events that they go to to trade baseball cards. And they trade them online. And so Rare's doing this digitally. 
with soccer cards through NFTs. And now the UK Gambling Commission is trying to figure out, is this gambling? Will be interesting to see how they decide on that one. The next one is about a new company called Forefront, a startup creating fictional storylines with actors on TikTok. Says it aims to build an intersection or sorry, an interconnected TikTok universe and has raised $1.5 million seed round. This sounds really interestingly innovative. Forefront NAB's funding to build an interconnected network of fictional TikTok stars. Say what? Every popular social media platform has opened up a new type of storytelling to a new generation of users, but TikTok's impact has perhaps been the swiftest as the short-form video platform's user base has quickly swelled past 1 billion users and transformed how social media stars are made. Forefront, spelled F-O-U-R, Front, Forefront, is a media startup that's looking to define a new type of storytelling on TikTok, aiming to popularize a network of individual actors performing scripted, short-form, serialized stories that feel native to TikTok, fictionalized storytelling in vlog form is clearly not a new development for social media. In fact, it was the first popular content on social media, period. It was on YouTube. It was a girl named Lonely Girl 15 or 16. Lonely Girl 15 was precisely this, scripted virtual content. She was an actress with a production company pretending to be a young lady talking to her camera, which was not how Social media was done in 2006 when she pioneered this. And it's become the default ever since of young people talking to their cameras on the sitting on the edge of their beds in their bedrooms. And uh, so they're bringing back the OG format of Lonely Girl 15. So anyway, but uh, yeah, fictionalized storytelling in vlog form is indeed clearly not new at all. In fact, it was the, the original format. <laughs> And now this company's bringing it to TikTok. But Forefront is hoping that it can capitalize on the discoverability opened up by TikTok's For You page to steadily build new audiences. The startup tells TechCrunch that they've raised $1.5 million. The startup has a couple dozen characters on TikTok with a handful racking up several hundreds of thousands of followers. Not all of the characters have been hits, and Forefront's team of writers and social media strategists have settled on nine characters who they're looking to create an interconnected universe around where the actors are organically cross paths with each other. While Forefront's team plans out the characters' arcs, it's on the actors to shoot the videos themselves. The scripted content is often pretty soap opera-esque, but follows the format of popular videos on the platform. Watch us confront my sister's cheating fiancé live. Implores one video from Forefront's most popular character named Sydney, who has nearly 500,000 followers after debuting in June. In addition to helping catch her sister's cheating fiancé, Sydney has also discussed the stresses of her roommates breaking her lease early and the lessons she learned working in customer support for a dating app. Forefront co-founder Elon Benjamin tells TechCrunch that his startup isn't trying to mislead anyone into thinking that their network of characters are real, noting that their profile bios highlight the fictional nature of the stories and that each of the videos include the hashtag fiction uh, tag. We don't want to confuse audience 
audiences or trick them. We want them to be entertained, he says. Tyler, where is this company based? Uh, I would imagine... L.A.? I would imagine L.A. This is a very L.A. type thing. It's called... Yeah, because this is what you said, and this is... I think this is huge. Um, If Netflix don't gobble them up, because when you talk about the digital rights and gaming and Avatar and what, you know, these... um, these rights can lead into. I'm thinking about this Korean, the Netflix. I saw it on Bloomberg Tech uh, yesterday or something, where they they're just had they're just making money hand over fist. Is that Korean game or it's a Netflix? They're based uh, in Brooklyn production. No, not this company. Oh, Brooklyn. Oh, good. I, okay, that's even better for me. I'm saying, uh, but there's a Netflix uh, show that's out that's huge um, that's done in South Korea. Although the founder and, went to USC. Okay. And that's okay. not a surprise but, <laughs> because USC grads are disproportionately would do these kinds of things. This is, USC is where all of the future filmmakers, you know, come from disproportionately. So arguably the best film school in, in the world. So, yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. He's from he went to college in L.A. at USC. And now apparently the company's based out of Brooklyn. Thank you. But I just say this is a bigger trend on everything else of like what you're talking about. Actors going on strike, Netflix, Winter or Korean, you know, they're big. I can't think of the show right now because I'm cooking, but they're big shows. No, Squid, Squid, Squid. That's it, Ken. Yeah. Squid is just, it's making a lot of money for now. A lot. I'm just going to tell you before the earnings come out. And they didn't pay and it's becoming, it, it just, it just, it just hit a tipping point where it's just become ubiquitous and they didn't expect it. And so Squid was the show I was thinking about. I think that was Ken that said that, but thank you, Ken. So Squid, this this thing is just going crazy. And so it's intriguing to me because Netflix will give their directors in Korea and around the world, they'll say, we'll give you autonomous, build what you want, you decide for the audience. And it just went global. And so I think when you talk about these, like, you know, sort of avatar scripted, it starts off with a script, but it kind of be, jumps into reality. And then if you blend that with um, augment reality and gaming, you're talking about trillions of dollars. That's Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. And I think this company will be here. So after high school, he went to high school in the Bay Area. (laughs) Okay, you're trying to find him. Okay, we should do something. And then he went to USC, and then he stayed down there and got a gig um, shortly after college at as a development intern in Hollywood. And then he went to uh, a bunch of smaller uh, studios and then ended up at Fox as an intern in programming and development. And then he went, became a freelance screenwriter and producer at another small studio. And then he ended up at Warner brothers and as a script coordinator on lethal weapon, and then a senior writer at another smaller studio. And then now he's starting forefront out of Brooklyn. Okay, and uh, it doesn't matter because it's global, but what's his nationality? Does it share or you don't know? Because I'll find him anyway. Sounds almost like he's, you know, African-American or, or some minority. I, have we even heard his name? Elon Benjamin. Yeah, oh, that yeah. may not matter. That may not, it depends on his family, but okay. Elon Benjamin, okay, thank you. I got it. Yeah, but by the way, these kinds of, I mean, YouTubers have been doing this for a very long time where they share 
audiences with each other, this network effect of passing audiences between each other. So you create a net of all nine individual YouTubers each have their own audiences and then they start audience sharing with each other in a kind of network fashion. And then that's a very fast way to grow audiences in a shared way. Um, so that's part of what they're doing here. Co-branding is just one of those experiences that uh, always creates delight. You know, like whenever you see two brands that you enjoy working together, um, it just uh, takes it up another notch. Kind of like also they're... Yeah, that was the old school, Chris. You're right. That used to work a lot. I don't know what's going on now, but... They're also doing the traditional, um, what do you call it? Yeah, soap opera format, which works in lots of countries and has notably kind of disappeared from the u.s i mean that was so popular in the 70s 80s and 90s and we we went we went to reality television and then we lost all the writers uh right we were talking about that a couple weeks back and and now you know there's a kind of a dearth of talent and and now people are like well i i was hanging out with my parents and i saw this show from the 80s you know and and it's now all coming back. But crazy enough, I mean, I think they outgrew the audience. So one of my good friends is an executive producer for, for General Hospital, and they keep winning Emmys. But I think it's really only only my grandmother and, you know, other octogenarians and people in their 90s. Actually, she's 94. So whatever you call that, um, you know, that are their core audience. So I, I think they lost you know, the talent, but then they also lost their market. But you're right. I mean, in Asia, these these novellas, as they would be called in Latin America, they're huge. Yeah. You know? And and I've been, yeah, I, I've watched more. Than they're a few. still huge in Thailand. General Hospital is still existing, Lakeisha? Yeah, they, they, they just picked up another Emmy. How dare you not know that GH is still on? <laughs> you know, I, I'm sorry. You know what, Tyler, uh, Lakeisha, we just need to bring it back because I think you're right. You need to do it for a new generation because you get tired of MTV Cribs or whatever where it's reality TV, but she, I can already predict it. She's going to cheat on him. He's going to cheat on her. They're going to get mad. They're going to get in a fight. It's boring. Out there. You need a little bit of drama that's that's more scripted to keep my attention at least uh, well and the, the other difference is that you know the same characters have been running on these shows for you know 20 30 40 50 years in some cases victor yeah victor newman right i mean <laughs> but 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 um you know with the thai you know soap operas and the korean dramas they might have like two maybe three seasons of 16 episodes then they're done and then it's on to the next. And so I think that's that's another model that really needs to be considered as well. Okay. So the next one is from the New York Times. In 2020, the Seattle region was the top U.S. market for large office space leased by tech firms. Yeah. Uh, no shit. That's where Amazon's based. Due in part to a deep talent pool and plenty of undeveloped land. And because of a company called Amazon. New York Times. Come on. Let's get real here. So let's see what this is about. As big tech grows in the pandemic, Seattle grows with it. Yes, it's called Amazon. How are you not mentioning this? Despite an overall decline in office leasing in the United States, technology companies gobbled up more space in the Seattle area than they had it the previous year. Yes, it's called fucking Amazon's booming due to COVID, you jackass. What the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) The pandemic was a disaster for commercial real estate markets in in the Seattle area, it was a boom. Gee, I wonder why. 
In 2020, U.S. office leasing activity fell 36% from the year before, according to research, as offices closed and employees were sent home to work remotely. But in the Seattle region, technology companies gobbled up more space than they had the previous year. The Seattle region became the top market in the U.S. in 2020 for large office space leased by tech firms, according to CBRE, surpassing the San Francisco Bay Area for the first time since 2013, as well as tech hubs like Atlanta, New York, Washington, Austin. Uh, among the 100 largest te technology leases, 14 were in the Seattle area, totaling 3.4 million square feet, about 85% more space than in Manhattan, the number two market on the list. A confluence of factors spurred Seattle's popularity. The technology sector grew during the pandemic as Americans workshopped and entertained themselves from home. Tech companies expanded their footprint in Seattle, attracted a deep talent pool and a stream of graduates from local colleges, and the area just beyond the city had plenty of undeveloped land. Right? The U.S. economy contracted contracted 3.5% in 2020, according to the Commerce Department, but the technology industry soared on the surge of e-commerce. We are getting close. You're so close. Streaming content and virtual meetings. The biggest tech companies, Google, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Microsoft, thrived in 2020, earning a to in total about 25% more than they had the previous year, according to the company reports. The blockbuster growth spurred a need for office space despite the remote work trend. There is a net need for space. The techno technology companies have also begun establishing satellite offices employing hundreds of workers in cities with high concentration of universities. There is there is also a desire to improve diversity, he said, by establishing a presence in cities like Atlanta, Miami, Washington that have large populations of black and Hispanic people who are underrepresented in technology. For example, Chicago had few tech jobs and college students who wanted to work in the industry had to move to other cities for after graduation. Google, Facebook and Amazon now have offices there. Tech companies are going to where the talent is rather than making people move to a handful of cities. Still, the Seattle area, home to Amazon. There, you did it. You buried it halfway down the middle, of, towards the end of the article. Just say that. Amazon's booming during the pandemic, at the end of article. And they're high, they built offices near their HQ. They're building warehouses. Was that so hard? Anyway, interesting to see just how much Amazon is growing in Seattle. And that's an, it is an interesting point that, uh, the places that have good universities, as I said here, when somebody asked, we were talking, LS and others were asking me about which cities would be booming. And I said the ones that have good universities, because that's where the pipeline of talent is. And that's where that's those are the cities of the futures are the ones that have the good business schools and tech schools. And you the companies will move to where the talent is. And th those will be the the innovation hubs of the future. It would be and it'll still be virtual. Oh, I'm sorry, Lakeisha. It'll still be virtual because we're we're global now, so it's not going to change. But go ahead, it Lakeisha. Would, it would be game changing more than interesting if one of the big tech companies relocated to Detroit, <laughs> because you've got Ann Arbor with the University of Michigan just down the road. I mean, it's one of the top you know land grant um, research universities in the in the country. So the talent is there, but I you know I think that you know, the potential to really help that city to continue its rebound would, would, would be remarkable. 
But Lakeisha, and I'm sorry, I, I love that because my boys went to Michigan and everything. There's just, you know, this legacy systems and legacy politics, because you're right, Detroit's destroyed. They can come in, and Amazon tried to go to New York and some other places. You always get this infighting, of, and Tyler talks about it, where, you know, some politicians, if big tech says we're going to come in and we'll do these jobs, you're going to have an opposition that's going to fight it. So sometimes but, but, they just have to go out of the U.S. or something, go to an island. But the island. reality is, I mean, Detroit has a long history of, you know, manufacturing. And so so not only would you have the, you know, the highly technical roles, if you will, but then you have people that still have a plant mentality because of the leg- legacy systems of, you know, G- GM and Ford and Chrysler and, you know, you know, all of all of the U.S. automakers that have left. But I, I, I do believe that there's still this culture of, you know, having a strong identity working for a big company. And for some people, they may not have the, you know, the you know, the high education, if you will, but it could also create jobs at different tiers for different types of employees. And I agree 100. I'm in completely agreement with you. So, yeah. Okay, here we go. It's just sad. I'm sorry, because when Lakeisha talks, I'll shut up, Tyler. It just makes me sad because they're right. They're just devastating. They're hard workers, and yet they'll want to come in. And you just got to balance it with human nature where the company's going to want the best you know, the best deal they can get, but you can have politicians that grill them, but compromise, you know, but, but then, you know, that's what politicians do. So. Um, next up. There's other ways of looking yep. at this, right? So it's not just about big tech. It's about, um, you know, how we perhaps might be able to reform education, how we might be able to actually um, change the way the system currently mm-hmm. works. Like Stripe, for example, Stripe are not considered big tech yet. Stripe are, you know, they're a hundred and they're whatever, there, yeah. thirty million dollar company, billion billion dollar company, yeah. And so, but they they did an initiative with the University of Limerick. Now, Limerick in Ireland is not considered, you know, a hub of talent. Let's say it's certainly uh, like the Detroit of of Ireland, right? And what Stripe have done is they've connected with the university to to innovate their courses, to innovate their innovation teaching and how they get across that kind of level of you know next-gen technology so like what Akisha was saying where Detroit had the the mentality of plant-based what's the future you know plants when we're talking digital for 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 kids and so Stripe have come in and tried to work with the universities to to innovate their education and stuff so that that's an interesting thing I love that Aaron and you know yeah thank you Aaron I think it can also bring um, the apprenticeship model you know, so, I mean, quite frankly, not everyone is going to, you know, um, not everyone has the capacity or the preparation, I would say, not to say that people cannot, but, you know, we, we need to create different types of opportunities. And what, you know, we see in places like Germany and other countries that have strong apprenticeship models and what Detroit, quite frankly, had were various pathways to the middle class for for different types of workers. And I think that, you know, for so many people, that's all they want. And and so I, I'm really inspired by what, by what you've just said with what Stripe is doing in, in the UK. And Aaron, thank you for your work of keeping hope alive. Because uh, as, as far as reminding me, I'm doing it with my own company. You know, we've got partnerships with universities to bring people up because that's my own personal mission. But I, I appreciate what you said, if it can just be horizontal 
and everywhere so that we can change this legacy shit. Excuse my language, ladies. You know, so that these the, the youth can come up and, and not hate each other over stupidity of economics. That's all. Right, LS. And, and my, my point is we shouldn't just depend on big tech. You know, even though we talk about Stripe like they're a great innovative company, they're a small company. They're, they're you know, they're only set up nine years ago. They're a tiny company. Um, but what they are doing is thinking about your point there, LS. They're thinking about the future. They're thinking about what the kids need to do. And they're trying to revamp the, the areas of the world that, that need it. So, yeah, all good. Okay. And <clears throat> next up is an online marketplace for new and used cars in India. Car Deco raises $250 million at a $1.2 billion valuation as used car marketplaces were the smart bet. <laughs> that was the smartest startup to make during COVID because there's a huge car shortage <clears throat> and everyone wants... Co- well, there's a, there's, it's the double whammy that due to the chip shortage, there's a car shortage. And due to COVID, people don't want to ride buses. They want to ha- ha- drive in their own cars. So there's a huge demand for cars and a huge lack of supply for cars. So a used car marketplace was the smart startup to make during COVID, in, in addition to telehealth, no doubt. So not a surprise, India's uh, used car marketplace is raising a quarter billion. And Alvieri, an embedded finance startup helping brands deliver financial products and services to customers and employees, raises $70 million. And that's very interesting, enabling existing businesses that have lots of customers to become banks bankifying existing businesses that's clever shit right there embedded finance startup helping brands deliver financial products and services to their customers i would love to hear the examples that they might share in this article here who give us an example embedded finance is not a hot topic these days and it feels like we're seeing a growing number of rounds in the space just last week Productify, a banking-as-a-service company that aims to build DeFi for traditional finance, raise money. And Alvieri started as a company a few years ago. And we're doing embedded finance, which is a big, which is as big or bigger than um, banking-as-a-service. Whatever you want to call it, the market for embedded finance is massive and expected to grow worldwide to become $7.2 trillion market in the next nine years, according to a forecast. The foundations were born out of an attempt to build a payment app to exchange money without exchanging personal information. Instead of building a consumer app, the team decided to package the solution to businesses or brands to be able to launch any financial service of their own. It's kind of a twist on Stripe, really. But instead of just accepting credit cards, which is Stripe's main game, They're adding other embeddable financial features for companies to, yeah, makes a lot of sense. And Tyler, I can't speak too much on this, but I am working on a partnership. Well, I'll see where it goes, but I know people very close and high up to Bond, B-O-N-D out of San Francisco. They got 30 million out of Goldman Sachs. They're in this play Um, and they're focused on small and mid-sized businesses. So it's where it's, it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid of the Stripe and FinTech. And yeah, in that sense, they have their own their own ecosystem for money transfer. But 
The company is just Google Bond, B-O-N-D, and, and Goldman Sachs. And you'll, I'm, you'll I'm familiar with Bond, yeah. This one says, the financial services that Alvieri enables brands to embed in their businesses include direct deposits, uh, checking and savings accounts, credit, debit, and prepaid and gift cards, payment services, domestic and international money transfers, loyalty programs, and cash pickup and deposits. Very interesting. I want to know who some of their clients are. Hold on one second. Nothing new here, Tyler. Doing this for six yeah. years. So all this um, banking as a service, embedded finance. Yeah. Um, it's been ongoing. The APIs, if you look at, uh, I built out, uh, if you look at canvas.com, yes, canvas, yeah. C-O-N-T-I-S, um, you'll see 250 APIs that I released five years ago um, based on exactly all these principles of cards and banks. They don't name any clients on their website. Who do you imagine would be a really ideal target client for embedded finance? I think, I'm sorry, I think the small, uh, Aaron, I'll let you speak in a second. I think small and mid-sized businesses, in my opinion, that's what I'm focused on. I'm thinking big brands like uh, airlines could become banks in a way or... Uh, media companies could become well. Banks. They they could at the top, but the but the bottom, Tyler. Sorry, because that's my focus. You know, has suffered the most, and so they'll probably be the base that grabs on the soonest. Because even you know the, the the Christmas season is is hurting a lot of small businesses already projected, and what are they going to ship and do stuff? So if they can do credit terms with their own customers, it can build out. But I do I agree with you. The big brands can just always come in and benefit as well. But go so, ahead. So Aaron. Air, yeah, I was just gonna say, look, air, airlines, retailers—they've they, been—they've been doing credit cards for years, yeah. right? Um, loyalty cards, etc. The, the whole point of embedded finance, the whole point of a, a SaaS product based on embedded finance, is that it's no longer just about co-branding a credit card. It's about embedding finance everywhere. So, we did virtual cards, so one-time virtual cards, gift cards, pre-prepaid cards, everything. Um, around banking. So if you look at what Plaid and Tink are doing, that's just open APIs. That's just transferring money from one bank account to the other, cross-border FX, all of these things, even down to crypto marketplaces. Embedding finance means any type of financial service you can think of can now be embedded anywhere mm-hmm. by the likes of Alvieri, Rails Bank, Solaris Bank. All of these companies are aggregator of API financial services. So the next one is Patreon is launching a newsletter service for people who have Patreons or patrons who follow them on Patreon. You can now write newsletters and they take a 5% cut. And Celsius Network, a DeFi lending platform that uses Ethereum, raises $400 million at a $3 billion valuation, uh, up from $120 million last year. So practically a $3 billion value, value increase in a year, which is unbelievable. And DoorDash introduces an ad platform, letting restaurants buy ads to be at the top of search results through a bidding system. Where's the cash register? There it is. There, Here comes the money. And uh, Jay mentions that Grab is uh, going, likely to do the same very soon. And that means we're now in the later innings of uh, entrenching who is good, are the leaders in delivery. The next one, Binance, 
launches a $1 billion fund to support projects on its smart chain blockchain. And Canva announces Canva Video, a suite of video editing tools now part of its free tier, which is fantastic. I'm looking forward to trying that. And Fairphone uh, is now has the, the Verge is doing a review of the new Fairphone 4, which is the, the phone that you can assemble yourself and upgrade the parts yourself. They say that the water and it's water and dust resistance. It has a five-year warranty and years of software support, but camera is so-so and performance can be sluggish. Okay. Oh, and then a draft EU commission proposal set to be unveiled next month would fine Google and Facebook if they don't share data on how political groups target ads, meaning they would have to be transparent about who's paying for the political ads, which traditionally has been Russia. <laughs> and But now they would have to say, this ad brought to you by Vladimir Putin. That's encouraging you to vote for this uh, Republican senator. And that would be very interesting. Mm-mm-mm. And then Tile, uh, who pioneered the or popularized, maybe not pioneered, but popularized the little trackable tags that you can put on your keychains and whatnot, has now upgraded to have featured parity with Apple AirTags. So it only took them a couple months after Apple kind of raised the bar on what you could do with AirTags, and now Tiles matched all of their features. Okay, so... Hey, Tyler, can we go back to something? Because I, I, I know a lot about the... Uh the politics stuff, there shouldn't have been true, true political ads on Facebook or already that don't have a disclosure on who paid for I agree. them. So are we talking about ads because that's the current law. So is that the actual ad or this is kind of like, um, you know, bots or people, you know, just, you know, putting out their own information, whatever you want, what disinformation that's technically not an ad. Okay. So, I mean, you know, so I, I'm just curious as what we're defining as an ad because the, the current law already requires people, you know, a disclosure of who paid for the ad. Even though usually you could hide behind a, you could hide behind a kind of a company that nobody knows, you know, the association for, you know, good friends or whatever, you know, you could just make up a company and say it was paid for by that. But nonetheless, it, it, every political ad, you know, usually has to have say that. Even if it's on social yeah, media, I agree. You're making it sound like there's something new coming. That's why I'm, I'm confused. Yeah, I think currently political ads don't require the same amount of transparency around who's paying for in the EU. This in the US, uh, I, I don't know how it's what the legalities are. Oh, I'm talking about the US. Yeah, I'm talking about the US. I, I mean, so yeah, yeah. So, so the, tr- the, the yeah, so the transparency is is limited, quite frankly. That you could you can come up with a a political action committee. You could call it whatever you want, and then you've got to go beneath. You know who's behind that, and you may not know. So that you don't have that transparency. But the ad itself has to say paid for by somebody. You mm-hmm. know. Okay. Next up, and we get to get into all of the fun tweets. So here we go with the first one. Uh, California Lake Tahoe is at an alarmingly low level according to the San Francisco Chronicle, which is the biggest publication near Lake Tahoe. So they would know, and they've got photos 
and it shows people walking around on dry land in what used to be Lake Tahoe. <laughs> That's concerning. And they've also got fires, and they've also got people moving away from what used to be an incredibly beautiful area. Yeah, the Truckee River at the Tahoe Dam, the popular summer rafting zone, is completely dry, dry land. And they show... That's amazing. They show... That is amazing. I just tweeting out a couple photos here of a pier on dry land. The pier used to be built there because you needed to get your boat to the pier on water. Now, the the water under the pier is gone. The pier's on dry land. And that's how you know you're... you're <laughs> We're fucked. That's how you know you're fucked. Guys, we gotta do something like ASAP. <laughs> Shit's getting real. I know it sounds stupid, but yeah. And the next one from Francine Hardaway... Uh, sign in with Ethereum is coming. The dangers of letting Facebook control your online identity are clear. One alternative would use your Ethereum wallet instead and let you control your own identity. Boy, this sounds like some of the conversations we've had in depth here at Tech News Around the World, especially with our friend Nicholas, who's really incredibly uh, well-informed on the whole topic of digital identity and owning your own data and identity. The dangers of letting Facebook control your online identity are clear. One alternative would be to use your Ethereum wallet instead and let you control your own data. Sign in with Ethereum is coming. And uh, yeah, sign in with any kind of digital wallet. Um, and that's essentially what uh, our friend Nicholas is working on. Yep, we have a session on coming Wednesday on digital identity, privacy, and cybersecurity. And uh, Nicholas will, should be at the show too. It's in the article, it says, <clears throat> you know, you can use Google and now Apple identity services all involve major trade-offs, likely having your data shared with U.S. intelligence, according to this article. Oh, boy. Let's see that link. NSA PRISM program taps into user data of Apple and Google and others was a headline from The Guardian that this first article is linking to to show the receipts that the National Security Agency has obtained direct access to the systems of Google, Facebook, and Apple, and other U.S. Internet giants, according to top-secret document obtained by The Guardian. Yeah, so they just include the link as proof that, indeed, using Google and Apple and Facebook logins basically uh, shares all of that with the U.S. intelligence agencies. And so... That's what they're calling trade-offs. It's one of the core quandaries of today's internet. While the net inherent anonymity is definitely a good thing, it leaves users of ID-reliant tools in thrall to major centralized identity providers and their seemingly inevitable abuses. Blockchain developers have long talked about developing decentralized identity standards to save us from the dangers of big login. And at least one significant step toward that future appears Imminent sign in with Ethereum is coming. It's just what it's just what it sounds like, a standard way to use an Ethereum wallet that you own as an identifier across multiple services. And the article says if your first thought is my name isn't even attached to my Ethereum wallet, that's exactly the point. Using a cryptographic marker as an identity means the user, not the identity provider, 
has total control over what information is associated with it. Eventually, you'll be able to decide, for instance, whether a particular service needs your name, proof of your age, or a glimpse of your Ethereum balance. You won't have to send all that information to every service you use. To which our friend Nicholas would say, uh, Ethereum is still centralized. What you truly want is a truly decentralized system not owned by a company like Ethereum. So if I can, so a few years back, I worked at MasterCard on digital identity. Um, it's, 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 as you said, Tyler, it's not a new thing, right? Um, Stripe are behind a company called Fast in, um, in the Bay Area that are trying to do it for e-commerce. Yeah, super you know, fast like checkout, yeah. Right, and, and we've got Bank ID. You obviously know Sweden, right? So identity, the, a form of identity, you know, that's easy to log out with. I used to own a product called MasterPass. We tried to put a MasterPass button everywhere, like PayPal, to check in, check out super fast. All of this identity stuff isn't new. What the, the challenge is, is it's long, it's, long, it's long a spectrum. So you've got security one end of the spectrum. You've got convenience the other end of the spectrum. And underlying that spectrum is data. And no matter what we say, you can't sit on one end of the spectrum, nor can you fundamentally just sit underneath on data. You've got to get that triumphant of you know the the three pieces in the middle where you're providing convenience you're providing security and you're providing openness to the data that is exchanged and the people who get that right will be who solves digital identity Alrighty, next up <clears throat> from john cap in the audience a lawsuit against mark zuckerberg over 500 million dollars in dark money contribution <clears throat> Hold on while I have a sip of water here. Attorneys say Zuckerberg's $500 million to influence election evaded campaign contribution limits by using charities. Uh-oh. You can get in deep shit for that. You can you can go to jail for that. In fact, that one guy, D'Souza, did. Someone might be going to prison. <clears throat> Mark Serrano, president of Proactive Communications, announced Wednesday a new lawsuit is to be filed by attorneys at the Amistad Project of the Thomas More Society against Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg over the $500 million of dark money he spent to facilitate election fraud in key battleground states. Serrano said the suit will be filed in the next 24 hours in the District Court of the District of Columbia that covers Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Mich Michigan, Arizona, and Georgia. In an interview, oh, Jesus, with Steve Bannon. So now we got to take all this with a huge grain of salt now. About, I was about to ask you, Tyler, and, you you know, once you said that word, once you said that name, it, the credibility came down a bunch. Yeah, just went down to near zero. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll pass on this one and then circle back. <laughs> If indeed that lawsuit, I mean, we're not saying it's we're not saying it's impossible. Mm -hmm. It's just leaning more towards implausible. Yeah, just became much less plausible. But uh, the next one is from CSQ, and it's she sends in this article from TechCrunch called "The Future of China's Work Culture," and it says in late August. Uh, China's Supreme Court declared one of the country's most infamous work practices illegal, known as 996, where people were working from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week. 
And though popularized by the country's soaring tech firms, often evoking images of hip urban startup employees with stock options, plans hustling before being made millionaires by an IPO, 996 has evolved in how it's understood and applied by employees and employers, as well as how it is viewed by regulators. China's regulators appear to be sending a message to employers and employees alike that the rules that define their relationship must change. Yeah, this is very old news, TechCrunch. They they cracked down on 996 at least a month ago. <clears throat> yes, on August 26th, a Supreme Court decision uh, by the Ministry of Human Resources will impact tech firms and ending 996. So why are you reporting on it now more than a month later, a month and a half later, TechCrunch? Uh, yeah. Tyler, but this is to your other point, especially in China, because the 996 and the whole Evergrande and tech, which I think um, I think the party, the Communist Party is swinging way to the pendulum the other way uh, to come back to people, health and society. And it's intriguing, especially given I've already finished the book Red Roulette, which is just a page turner for me. But um, it's intriguing about what's happening, because that's the only way the com- he kind of details it in that book how what they will do without saying it to need to stay in, in power. And so they will checkmate everything quickly so that the Communist Party stays in power or the people will revolt. So it's it's an article about China's work culture. Yeah, this is just incredibly And the nine nine six by the way used to be a lot worse. It wasn't it was like twelve six. <laughs> so just so you know. Could you imagine living like that on a daily basis, six days a week? So your entire... Oh, I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, there's there's days, and, and Tyler, I guess, you know, you know this in the music business, there's days that you just work 12, 15-hour days or just, you know, literally I had nights where I would spend at my office on the couch because of the hour differences I have to get up like two hours later to go on the phone with Asia or something. But, you know, just as you're talking, I'm just sitting here on a daily basis, your entire lifestyle, you wake up and you go to work, you have no time for anything, your shopping, your laundry, your anything at the end of the day, think of that kind of an existence. You yes. know, it's well, just... the Japanese used to do it too, which Shoko can attest to in a while in the yep. past where they would fall asleep on the bus stop on the way home. Yep. Because they, they were even working had sleep so much. pods. They could uh, rent out a sleep pod to but, sleep like but, but for two hours me... and go back to work. Just horrible. horrible. Like I, I, I feel for, I feel for them, but like, that's the typical restaurateur's lifestyle. <laughs> no, I'm not even. Yeah. La- I'm not even joking. Ex- ex- except it's seven days a week. You know, they got to go buy produce. They got to, you know, run the restaurant. They got to shut down. You know, that's what my mom did. It still does every single day. Here's a quote from the article. So, you know, like there's 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 still modern slavery. No, but oh, when you Chris, but I'm saying there's a choice, though. I'm sorry, Chris. Yeah, I agree with you for your mom being a restaurateur. But sometimes, even myself, there's choices where the whole society, I'm talking from the youth all the way up, is a culture. That's what I was focused on, you know. No, but you know what? If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a startup guy, you are working 24 by 7. Yeah, I mean, so I'm up, I only sleep four so hours a night. Because it's, everything is all choice, right? It's just a matter of... Yeah, no, and I agree. Yeah. And and no, no, this is not a lifestyle I would wish upon anybody. But I'm just kind of bringing the light that this is, you know, a, a stay-at-home parent has to do this 24-7. So th- I got to you know? did, give... Didn't one, of the, um, didn't one of the Scandinavian countries just approve a four-day week, uh, uh, work week? Spain did. Just... And another country's voting on it now. I think it was it Belgium. 
Yes, yes, I think so. Like this week, not I saw Sweden. That. Norway not Sweden. only works three hours a day, anyways. They don't need to change anything. <laughs> I'm also running a startup. What is this? I need to move to Norway. You're talking about? Yeah, uh, yeah. Sweden actually does proper eight or nine a.m. to five p.m. kind of on the dot. Like they're very punctual with their start and finish times, and they don't. You know, they have they leave their weekend to themselves and their big holidays time to themselves. And you're not supposed to email after work hours. They keep their their life balance is critically important. And uh, that's how it works in Sweden. And in Norway, you know, life's good in Norway. Life's really good. Really, really nice. You know, if uh, you know, if you're had a long lunch and it makes you feel a little sleepy, maybe you just go home and, you know, take a nap. And, uh, <laughs> and and those people's that's lives siesta, collapse. Yes, the Nordic right? siesta. siesta. So there's a the, I have the world still goes on, no collapse, no calamities, you know, and and you know everything was fine the next day still. So the but Nada, at the end of the day, we're still sorry, we're still building a future by choice. Like I choose, like Chris says, I choose to build this because that's my passion. That's what I'll do. And if I'm working, actually, it's what I love anyway. So it doesn't feel like work, like being in tech news, right? It's good for me. Totally but you're agree. right. But when but when you're talking about, um, I try to look outside of myself or my existence or the people around me or whatever. You're talking about kids, you know, from middle school to high school, and you're brought up in that culture. It's just like being black in America, and you're told you can't do anything. You know, I, I just get really passionate about that, and I'm glad like Common came out and like there's been more murders in Chicago the last year than ever. It, it just still pains me. And so, you know, we just got to change the culture for the younger generations so that at least they have a choice where they can have a choice. That's all. Absolutely. I agree. So, I agree 100%. I mean, it's a, it's a quality of life. If you can choose it and not be forced on it, it's a whole different thing because you're working versus passion versus, you know, being forced to do something because you have to. But uh, I agree. Alice. So here's a, I have to give credit to TechCrunch actually in this article because they did one thing that a lot of other publications painfully miss which it says here, uh, compounded by a need to reduce pressures on families and boost the dwindling birth rate, authorities are now looking to change the unwritten rules of the game that have long dictated labor relations in China. And that's exactly correct. That is why China cracked down on 996. They didn't really want to crack down on it. They loved the productivity of it. They loved the economic <laughs> boost of it. But then they realized, oh, shit. Our birth rate is declining and our economy will eventually collapse if all of these people are working too hard and producing too much and producing too many plastic widgets and crap and not enough kids. You got to produce kids in addition to producing, you know, fidget spinners and all that shit the Americans are buying. So let's take a break. Let's not work 996. You're no longer allowed to work 996. You need to go home and have, produce some kids. For the state, y'all. And Lakeisha, maybe some soap operas in China might be big, like General Hospital. But they do. They already are. You watch the Korean drama. I dramas. was wondering why you brought me into this conversation, Ellis. But you know the other piece to it, and we talk about this all of the time, China can do these kinds of things because they're China. Yes. But there are lots of countries, including the U.S., that need to focus on their, you know, on their declining, dem you know, um, demographics when we look at um the the younger populations yep. i know as someone in higher yes. education yes. you know particularly in certain parts of the us the college age population has been dwindling for the past 15 years i am an auntie 
Yeah. <laughs> not a mom, but I'm, but I'm an auntie. So, so I, I do think that um, not only China, but other countries may need to rethink, okay, what's at the root cause? Why are people not maybe having babies in the same way that they have in the past or that we might want them to in the future? And what kind of incentives Can could be developed? And, and the economics on that, I'm sorry, real quickly, Lakeisha, I agree with you 100. And the economics on that is like, well, you need to go to a good school to do this or be Instagram or be wealthy or be a rapper. You know, it's all material based, even on the West side. I mean, on the West uh, to the youth today, which are always trying to be more famous, right? Like it's called uh, Instagram famous or whatever, versus their roots of, of what values are. Like, what are you going to do with your life past all these things? So. I agree, Lakeisha. We just need to dial it back. I think the part that doesn't really get mentioned, and I'll mention it because I lived it, is 9-11. You know, if you were in your 20s or just graduating college as 9-11 happened, it was quite disruptive to your life. Um, You know, the job situation changed. uh, The security situation changed. um, You know, interest rates fell for one point all of a sudden everyone around you is buying homes buying cars um and then so you kind of we we kind of fell into this rat race you know especially in southern california i I was at irvine at the time you know you were we were seeing homes that you know at the time were going from two hundred thousand and then just jump jumping parabolic to five hundred thousand okay so there's a quote in this article i wanted to share and so you know uh, oh sorry chris no, go ahead. My signal. It says, on. for many of us, we know that what we're agreeing to when we work with, for internet companies. Oh, dear Lord. That's not something you would hear an American say. But it is what you hear people in China say. We're not stupid idiots. We actually know what we're signing up for. We actually take responsibility. I applaud. And this is my clap to the people of China. There it is. They are not idiots like Americans who don't know what they're signing up for when they joined an American company. They pretend they don't know what they signed up for when they joined an American company and they try to sue their American company for for what they signed up for. But I love this quote. For many of us, we know exactly what we're agreeing to when we work for internet companies, explains a woman named Zhu who has worked for several such firms in China. We know we might have to work hard, but we also get a chance to make more money, she says. If we wanted something different, we would have decided to work for other companies. Zhu, I love you, sweetheart. Look at you taking personal responsibility. I love. Oh God, can you ever imagine an American tech employee saying that? I cannot. If we wanted something different, we would have decided to work for another company. Adding that she can understand why some ByteDance employees would be upset at the reduced hours and pay. In the eyes of some China tech workers, increased pressure on companies to comply with the government's stricter expectations around less working hours may just mean more informal working hours for which they're not directly being compensated. So they're just going to sneak around the system and still force you to work those same hours. They just can't pay you for them anymore. Nothing has changed for me or my team, as far as I know, shared one employee of a popular U.S.-listed Chinese internet company. I work on the weekends and will work over my holiday, the national day of October 1st. Just because it's officially a day off doesn't mean the business stops, adding that they, of course, do not receive overtime pay for working extra days. The idea that business doesn't stop is what leaves some in doubt whether 
any government regulation will have any positive impact on the condition of tech workers. And which is, I'm now realizing that this TechCrunch journalist is trying to enforce social justice on the Chinese who don't want it. They want the money. They don't care that you're worried about their working conditions. There's an interesting disconnect between this journalist. The idea that business doesn't stop is what leaves some in doubt about whether any government regulations will have any positive impact on the condition of tech workers. ByteDance, here's a quote, ByteDance is cutting back official hours and pay, but if nothing else changes, it doesn't really matter, shared Zhu bluntly. People still want to keep their jobs and get promoted, so of course they will work as much as they can or move to a company that will pay them more to do so. And and I, I got to clap again for this Jew who's giving these fantastic quotes to this tech French journalist who's just befuddled. Why are you working so Best hard? Finder. Do you not realize your company's Best forcing finder. you to work hard? To which she says, damn right, they're making me work hard and I'm getting paid for it. And if I didn't want that, I would go work somewhere else. What's wrong with you, white lady writing this article? Don't you like to be paid a lot? I got a family to feed on a farm. But, but Tyler, see, that's the balance and you're right. But it's, it's like 50 cent, right? Get rich or die trying. And a lot of Chinese are that way. They, they, that's their choice, though. But they've made that consciously and they'll do it. You know, and a lot of people around the world, if you come from nothing, what else do you have? But um, it, we just have to balance the other side when there's so much, like in the West, I think. And that's just an all, you know, a yin yang constantly going back and forth. When there's so much wealth and prosperity. I, and I just love American it's, tech yeah. journalists trying to cov- cover China tech. Yes, When exactly. they have <laughs> no concept of China generally. Either. They have no concept of tech or China. <laughs> exactly, which, make, which is why this lady's yeah, quotes exactly. are comically uh, on point. It's like... The the journalist is trying to point out. Does she does she live does she live where there's four hour work days? You know where's that country? Yeah, yeah, that would there. yeah from Belgium. No, I doubt it. Uh, it and, and then it's kind of funny that the meritocracies and the communist and then the lack of merit is in uh, you know a capitalist society. Fucking great point that one. He's based in um co. His name's Elliot. Ah, he does seem to know China based on his Twitter profile. Co-host. Where's GRR? Based in GRR. And then, oh, these are the airport. That's not a No, no, that's an an airport code. LaGuardia. Now he's in New York and he used to be in Bangkok. Okay. So the next one is from Cheryl from Nikkei, Japan. Evergrande, the final countdown. China Evergrande Group has missed its third tranche of bond interest payments in less than a month, signaling a default is almost a certainty unless it gets a cash windfall from new investors or asset sales. That ain't going to happen. It's going to default. The next one is from Ted Abramson that Blackstone reaches production milestone with 3D printing. Blackstone has announced the validation of 3D printing of battery cells and solid-state batteries with AI. That could be huge, yo. That could really help reduce the cost of EVs and batteries in general. 3D printed battery cells. And oh my goodness, I'm sorry, I'm going to take 20 seconds. I went down to visit uh, one of our contract manufacturers today, and I was able to see one of their advanced uh, 3D printers, which is actually now four years old. And, you know, I've I'm new to 3D printing, believe it or not. 
And uh, I was just amazed that they have these printers that can print the complete product with 500,000 different colors, uh, multiple materials, multiple textures, all in the same printer. Like I was really just like knocked off of my feet because as an industrial designer, everything takes at least five processes, you know, to, to finish. And these things, you press the button and it, they're coming out. And it was just, uh, I was dumbfounded. So uh, the future is bright. Okay, next up is this one from Dr. Fran. The next big thing in podcasts is talking back. Why all the audio apps want you to interact. Yeah, Spotify just uh, added a whole new two features that allow podcasters to ask questions of their audience through text inside of the app. So if you're listening to the podcast inside of Spotify at a certain particular moment in the podcast, you'll they could ask you a question in audio and in text and you can respond and they will see your responses. They can even do a poll. It's very cool. New features coming to podcasts to make them more interactive. Very, very cool. You could even start to gamify podcasts in a way. You could turn them into a game show and then announce the winner the next day or whatever. It could be very cool. The next one is from Verdan, uh, that Indian troops, according to Reuters, Indian troops kill five militants in Kashmir as hundreds of Hindus flee. Indian security forces killed at least five militants in the Hindu-ruled Kashmir, Indian-ruled Kashmir region on Tuesday as hundreds of Hindus fleed the disputed Muslim-majority region. So some tensions rising over there in the Kashmir. And CNN, Pam sends this one in from CNN, that synthetic chemical in consumer products linked to early death. Study finds some synthetic chemicals called phthalates. Yep, phthalates, P-H-T-H-T-A-L-O-C-E. It's in soft plastics. Phthalates in consumer products may link to early death, especially from heart disease, a new study has found. So for those of you who are not interested in early death, anyone here not interested anyone here interested in this avoiding this thing called death? Uh, it turns out synthetic chemicals called phthalates found in hundreds of consumer products, such as food storage containers, shampoo, makeup, perfume, and children's toys may contribute to some 91,000 to 100,000 premature deaths each year among people ages 55 to 64. People with the highest levels of phthalates had a greater risk of death from any cause, especially cardiovascular mortality, according to a study published Tuesday in the peer-reviewed journal Environmental Pollution. The study estimated those deaths could cost the U.S. up to 40 to $47 billion each year in lost economic productivity, with like that fucking matters in this context. Like, who gives a fuck what it costs the GDP? You're talking about deaths. Fix it. Solve the problem. I, I guess that's what's going to... That, that's the needed metric to get the politicians to react, because they're not going to react to the fact that tens of thousands, a hundred thousands of people are dying. We have to put it in monetary terms, in GDP terms. Is, is that why we, the, we have to put it in that context? This study adds this to the growing database on the impact of plastics on the human body and bolsters public health and business cases for reducing or eliminating the use of plastics. 
says the Dr. Leonardo Trasand, a professor of pediatrics, environmental medicine, and population health at NYU, Lagone Health in New York City. Phthalates are known to interfere with the body's mechanisms for hormone production, known as the endocrine system, and they are linked with development, reproductive brain, immune, and other problems, according to the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences. Even small hormonal disruptions can cause significant developmental and biological effects. Prior research has connected phthalates with reproductive problems such as genital malformation. I was just about to say it. <laughs> and unde- undescended testes in baby boys and lower sperm counts and testosterone levels in adult males. Previous studies have also linked phthalates to childhood obesity, asthma, and cardiovascular issues of cancer. The chemicals have a rap sheet, says Trasand, who also directs NYU's Langone Center for the Investigation of Environmental Hazards. And the fact of the matter is that when you look at the entire body of evidence, it provides a haunting pattern of concern. The American Chemistry Council, which represents the U.S. chemical plastics and chlorine industries, shared this statement with CNN via email. Much of the content with, within Trasan's latest study is demonstrably inaccurate, says Eileen Conley the Senior Director of Chemical Products and Technology. Well, obviously you're going to say that. That's your business. She added the study lumped all phthalates into one group and failed to mention that the industry says high molecular weight phthalates like DINP and DIDP have lower toxicity than other phthalates. The studies such as these fail to consider all phthalates individually and consistently ignore or downplay the existence of science-based authoritative conclusions regarding the safety of high molecular weight phthalates. Often called... Jesus Christ, she's using word soup to make it seem like it's safe when she's actually just, you know, picking certain things and saying, well, you know, some of them are safe. And, uh, you know, the fact that you didn't split up the study means the whole study's garbage. But let's reiterate that, that these ones are safe. Right. But, and, and also, Chris, one of the things, this was known in the minority community for a while. And even to your Subway sandwiches, uh, Tyler, you know, there was a study that came out several years ago about the wax and that plastic. But it was, to me, it was very well known in the minority community that were you able to buy this food because you have to buy it by low cost, you know, because of your, your families, like I grew up, you would get a lesser you would get more wax products and, and more other chemicals in your food supply, which then led to other issues later. But I think Cheyenne was going to comment too earlier. Uh, yeah, I was actually, let me just comment on Chris's point. I think the lady has a point because uh, phthalates are a very broad uh, set of compounds and they're a pretty basic ingredient for most polymers and plastics. But some of them are worse than others. It kind of reminds me of GMOs, and you say GMO as a broad label, and some of them are actually really quite good. I mean, this I'm not saying these are good, but I'm just saying that when you put a broad label on something, you weaken your hand. The, the study would have been much better off identifying the real toxic ones. And of course, plastics already get rated according to how safe or not safe they are. And, you know, th- th- like baby bottles are made of a kind of plastic that is known to be less toxic, if not like non-toxic. So I, I mean, think, yeah, go ahead. Well, Shaheen, what I, you know, I come from, from medical devices and the, the minimum standard is, you know, ISO 10993 or USP grade six. 
and like that's leachability and stuff like that and why aren't right, we considering right. these materials for water supply for water bottles like you know leave a water bottle in your car when it's hot and open that thing up it smells weird you I know understand. by the way I just think and, that and i'm not the, arguing the, with you the Shagina. fault is not plastics the fault is the people who use it for the wrong use case. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, and, and it's, agree it's a 100%. matter of degree as well, as I'm going to reveal a headline that's going to blow you away next. Yes. Because, watch this. So the ones that that person named, DINP -D and DIDP, have lower toxicity than other phthalates. Yes. However, they have lower toxicity. They still have toxicity. And in large amounts, it's still toxic. So according to her own admission, they're including lower toxicity plastics that, again, if done in high quantities, can still be toxic. Now watch this. Watch this next headline from CBC Canada. Still quite a reputable source. Experts warn of high levels of chemicals enclosed by some fast fashion retailers. Shine, fastly becoming the world's biggest fashion retailer. It's a Chinese company all done through a mobile app. It's growing faster than any retailer in the history of the planet. Shine, AliExpress, and Zaffle. Shine, all three of them, but especially Shine, ask any young lady, Shine is exploding on the planet right now. It is the biggest topic in women's fashion. It's an app where you can buy stuff at insanely cheap prices, ridiculously impossibly cheap prices, <clears throat> and is killing Every making Zara and H&M look like dinosaurs by comparison. So watch this. And this is in Canada, just to give you an idea. <clears throat> uh, Shine, AliExpress, and Zaffle stop sales of questionable products to Canadians following marketplace investigation. So now it's become illegal in Canada. Now watch this. Canadians who purchase cheap fast fashion from online retailers may be exposing themselves to potentially toxic chemicals. A marketplace investigation found that out of 38 samples of children's, adults, and maternity clothes and accessories, one in five items had elevated levels of chemicals, including lead, PFAS, and phthalates that experts found concerning. People should be shocked, said Miriam Diamond, an environmental chemist and professor at the University of Toronto. Diamond oversaw the, late, the lab testing that Marketplace commissioned. Scientists found that a jacket for toddlers purchased from Chinese retailer Shine contained almost 20 times the amount of lead that Health Canada says is safe for children. A red plastic purse also purchased from Shine had more than five times the, the safe threshold of chemicals. This is hazardous waste, said Diamond. The levels of these chemicals they are including are in highly toxic levels. They are lesser toxic than others. There are some more toxic than others, yes, but in large amounts that are in these products, they are still very much toxic. I am alarmed because we're buying what looks like cute and fashionable on this incredibly short fashion cycle. What we're doing today is to look for very short-lived enjoyment out of some articles of clothing that cost so much in terms of our future health and environmental health. That cost is not worth it. Shine, which sells products both under its own brand and from third-party suppliers, sent an, email, sent an emailed statement to Marketplace saying it had removed the purse and the jacket from its app and would stop working with relevant suppliers until the issue was resolved. We are committed to continuous improvement of our supply chain. 
Marketplace found garments containing elevated levels of chemicals from three fast fashion retailers, Softful, AliExpress, and Shine. These companies boast hundreds of thousands of styles updated daily at rock bottom prices. Tops are available for $5, sneakers under $10. Marketplace purchased a kid's raincoat for $6. Lead can be Lead can cause damaging health effects to the brain, heart, kidneys, and reproductive system. Children and pregnant people are more vulnerable, and infants and children are at most risk, according to Health Canada's website. Lead is a naturally occurring element that can be found throughout the environment. But Joel Martins, a product environmental impact expert at the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, said that the levels found in marketplace lab results were far beyond environmental contamination or the small amounts clothes are exposed to unintentionally during the manufacturing process. Here's the quote. There are clearly products that were intentionally using lead and intentionally using in a way that was well above what should be considered responsible or even safe, he said. Martin's Seriously, that's fucking evil, dude. I'm sorry I'm getting so mad about this. Martins explains that lead can be used in textile dye pigments, but are, but there are safer alternatives that can be achieved the same results. Diamond pointed out to the broader concerns stemming from the in- industry itself, noting that it's not just the consumer that can be exposed to the ill effects of the lead. It's the entire supply chain from the mining and the lead to the shipping to the final product. If the final product isn't safe for me, it's definitely not safe for the workers who are handling the chemicals to make it. Additionally, it's not har- it's incredibly harmful, whatever landfill it ends up to and into the water supply that it ends up. Health Canada would not give an interview. But in, in an email statement said, monitors the work marketplace and follows up on ill uh, all identified consumer product risks. Other articles of clothing contained elevated levels of phthalates, a group of chemicals often used to make plastic more flexible. A clear tote purchased from Zaffle contained enough phthalates, including DEHP and DINP, just as that last person tried to say, you know, that some are not as toxic, but this one says that it contained enough of that named phthalate that Diamond and Martins suggested Health Canada review the product. Health Canada restricts some phthalates in children's toys, like DEHP, DINP, and DNOP, to no more than 1,000 parts per million each. However, it is unclear if it would be considered a children's pro- if it would be safe in a children's product. Health Canada has proposed to ban DEHP in all products brought and sold in Canada, but it is not yet in effect. Diamond said more attention should be paid to all phthalates, many of which are considered endocrine disruptors, which are chemicals that can interfere with hormones. They can also have developmental effects and target the liver and kidneys and particular concerns about its effects on people and their reproductive years. Gee, I wonder if the declining birth rate has something to do with all this. Of course. After notifying Zaffle of the lab results, the company wrote in a statement that it is recalling the clear tote purse and sending customers who purchased it a refund. Of course you are. I love how when they find one item and the the journalist contacts the 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 company of what they're doing the the immediate default response from these chinese e-commerce sites is okay we remove that item thank you <laughs> and in in addition to the tote purse diamond flagged elevated levels of phthalates in children's tutu dresses from shine a children's dress featuring elsa from the movie frozen from aliexpress and the red purse purchased from shine a children's raincoat set from aliexpress and a set of plastic bibs from aliexpress None exceeded Health Canada's limits. 
but Diamond still has concern, particularly with the tendency for children to suck on clothing or put it in their mouths. Children's skin also can absorb chemicals easier than adult skin, she says. After informing retailers of Marketplace Investigation, Shine, Zaffle, and AliExpress removed all questionable products from their sites. The companies confirmed they would be investigating further and take action against suppliers and sellers if necessary. Health Canada addressed the tote in the emailed statement, writing that the presence of phthalates doesn't always mean a risk. The regulator suggested that unless the toddler under age four is sucking on the purse for more than three hours on a daily basis, the purse is not a significant source of exposure to phthalates. Some scientists are calling for strong regulation on phthalates in Canada, unlike the European Union, where the combined amount of phthalates is considered in regulations. Canada restricts each phthalate individually. The question naturally arises that combined exposure is are possible, says Ava Pip, a biologist and professor at University of Winnipeg. You can't have more than 1,000 parts per, mini- per million of any individual phthalate they list, but you could theoretically have 900 parts per million of each of them together and still be okay. In 2021, Health Canada published a document stating that the combined exposure of phthalates to Canadian environment is below the levels that are ex- expected to cause death to organisms. And the researcher thinks this needs to change, given the fact that these chemicals are hormone and developmental disruptors. Death to organisms is a pretty extreme criterion to determine harm. Send it to Uncle oh. and then he may ban plastic forever. But just to lighten it up, Tyler, you know, hopefully we have hope alive because I used to suck on those steel metal cars, particularly the Duke of Hazards. If you know what I'm saying? It's about like, you know, half an inch. And I used to play with it when I, when I was a kid and I know it was full of lead. So maybe that's why I'm all screwed up, but I'm still here. So, so let's try to keep hope alive. So I tweeted out the article. And the point is, is that uh, l- let's pray to God that these they're using of lead in the co- the pigments in the colors of these items and there's by the way a movie uh that cbc has made about this called toxic clothing it's 11 days ago it's a 22 minute video in the link i just tweeted which i encourage you to watch where they actually show the actual objects of these very cute little children's clothes and per- and accessories like little purses and they look very innocent and they have toxic levels of lead and phthalates, well, the, not not toxic levels of phthalates, but certainly hormone uh, disrupting level of phthalates. And but the idea that you have toxic levels of lead in the pigments being used in these super super cheap Chinese produced children's clothes is, but yeah, as Chris says, uh, very very mm-hmm. concerning. But Tyler, it's in the U.S. too. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to lighten the load, but this is so dark. You just, we just got to. I'm glad it's, that the article came out. I'm glad that it came out. I used to have a clothing company Ed, that would be quite challenging to produce toxic clothes in America. Well, to ship them in, you're right. I mean, you're right, Tyler, to, to manufacture them in the U.S., correct. But a lot, you know, we've been on a globalization, you know, track for the last 15, 20 years, so. I'm not, I, I, sometimes when I hear these things and it's so dark for me, I try to keep the light because it'll just, 
I'll get like Chris. I'll get really angry and really frustrated. And so well, I just, I'm just happy kids, that the news man, is out like, there. Leave the kids alone. Like that's my point. No, with Chris, I, I think, that's I my think point. Most, These are babies. You know, they they they're attacking babies and, and infants. I think that, and, it's the merchants but, who wants to produce it. I think all synthetic material will have this problem unless you move to 100% pure cotton, right? Do you want to pay for that? If yes, then go ahead. If not, then don't complain, right? But the, I mean, but we have a choice. The, the two or three you mentioned have already been banned from children's toys and products and clothes and all that. So again, this kind of again reminds me of when they were using melamine and powdered milk. Yeah, they they've that's been banned in yeah. use that's in the U.S. Blind. But if you're making the shit in China and shipping it in, are they going to test it at the customs dock for those chemicals? I highly doubt it. But they did, but but they did stop a company, uh, Tyler in China, that was doing a baby formula. This was about a year and a half ago or two years that were caught up in a lot of you know crap. They're putting like some I don't know what was in it's there, the, but it was baby's milk. Remember, and then they were using the melamine. melamine in the dog food, and yeah, like we had hundreds melamine. of dogs getting dying in the United States as well. You know. Okay. The problem is, is the supply chain just goes so far, there's no accountability, right? So it's like, you know, the decision made 5,000 miles away affects us over here, you know, and we want to get angry and, and we blame somebody, but it was likely a business decision or just just unscrupulousness, you know? And that's what gets me triggered when it looks like, oh, this is so obvious, this is just criminal, but it is likely just, you know, people just saving money, you know? So COVID, uh, Dr. Donish sends in this one from CNBC, COVID-19 prompted many women to hold off having children. This could have a lasting economic impact for the U.S. Yes. And again, putting everything in economic terms could have lasting economic impact. Yeah. A declining birth rate could have an economic impact. Yeah, you could say that. Katara, uh, wasn't because you brought this up before. So the one, one thing I wanted to ask or mention, we have... Um, Half the world wants to come here. If we never had another American, like, you know, born kid, yep. we have so many immigrants who want to come yep. here. I mean, like, literally the entire country of Guatemala would move here. If we Correct. Them. So it's like uh, other countries that, you know, are going to be short of people because half the world wants to come Correct. here. Correct. The U.S. is absurdly privileged in this uh, more than any country on the planet in this regard. And yet, you have half the Americans who don't want any of them, at all. Not yeah. one of them. Well, and, no, and they, and those, and they want those half you of for Americans your, for, to do the well, laws. How many? Oh, let, let let me ask you this: those uh, Haitians, those tens of thousands of Haitians who just tried to come in, how many got in? Uh, se several thousand actually. Uh, out of what percent? What, what do you? Uh, that stayed about 13,000 for the 15,000 that stayed so far. There are more coming over, but what's your question? I'm confused. How, what percentage of the Haitians who came to Texas were allowed in? Oh, um, the ones that were under that bridge, supposedly 13,000 of them is the reports of the 15,000 that were given a temporary status to stay, but they have to find family members and there's organizations working to help them, and I agree with a lot of those because a lot of them just fled. But they're only in a temporary status, right. so none of them are permanent. And if a hundred, if a, none of them are permanent. If a hundred thousand showed up next week, how many of them would be let in? Correct. I, I even 
probably 10 to 15 percent, but none of them will be permanent. So you're correct. They won't be in a permanent status. Um, only about you're talking about five to eight percent of a permanent status. Most of it is temporary, which will well, at we're some gonna point We're going to find push out because out. you're going to have billions of climate refugees in the next ten to twenty years. And the question. Oh, I agree. I agree. And, and, but that, but that's the that's the other problem, Tyler. As you pointed out so well, that's why you're living in Thailand. There's many parts of the United States that you know where I'm living now, as, as an example, you know, might be uninhabitable in thirty well, years. How, how so, many Af- how years. many Afghanis do, have we let into the U.S. out of the t- many, out of the that's out of, out this, of the yeah, out not... of the millions who are fleeing? How many have made it to the U.S. Tyler, I get it. I mean, yeah, the politics are. The bad. point is, we're not bringing not in the, the immigrants. Aren't going to come here. We're not going to allow them to come here. Oh yeah, we just want to have a country that dies by itself so that, you know, unfortunately there is a large population of the country I, I, that says... Despite the political opposition, okay, millions managed to get in legally or illegally. Millions managed to stay here illegally. Yes. So, I mean, this is not... I mean, it's a numbers game. You know, you could, you could talk about percentages, but when you have that many people trying to get in, you know, whatever is going to be a lot. It's a lot. But Ken, to one point quickly, though, if they don't have a legal status, we're talking about slavery, you know, four or five hundred years ago for Africans or African-Americans now. Because what I'm and I'm not saying it needs to be liberal because I pay my taxes, built built businesses, everything else and and was in the Marine Corps. So I, I get I get the I get the issue. But there has to be a balance of the two where, you know, I think America sometimes in my experience, we forget um, Americans forget that we were all immigrants. I mean, we took it you know, the, from the Native Americans, and, and that's always washed over. Um, and so, but, but this isn't a political, this is tech, and use tech and economics to fuel the future, um, because I, these people are healthy enough to get here, and, and what does the world do to, to kind of grow, grow a society where everyone's participating fairly? You know, you don't get nothing for free. You earn it, you pay it, you do your dues. You don't come over here and take nothing. Okay, you ain't taking nothing from me. No one can do that. But my point is to, to ignore it and say, well, you know, I'm just going to sit here and, um, and and die in my old age. I'm talking about other people in America and say, you can't come here and they don't have any kids. Then what happens to the country itself? Okay. But they have to be selective with their immigrants, right? <laughs> but my only real point was China. You just can't get into China. So China has to, you know, birth Correct. their own children. But we we don't in the United right. States because we have no shortage of people who want to come that, here. I agree. Right. Agree, Ken. I agree. Yeah. So that's why you have to be selective. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, we. I have know because you're in Singapore. <laughs> yeah, we have limited space in Singapore, so we also have to be very selective. I've been I mean, to Singapore. I, I know Singapore well. I, I get it, but yeah, it's a model of society. But you're an island. And it's very, it's very unique. Singapore's a very unique. Um, Even Japan is very selective. Very, very selective. Yeah. The next one's from Doctor. Oh, that was the the COVID nineteen prompting women to hold off having children, which could have economic impact. The next one's from Safe sends in this one from VentureBeat that Facebook quietly acquires a synthetic data startup called AI Reverie. And the next one's from Monica, that the IMF lowers global growth forecast to 
9% for 2021, with in India growing by 9.5%, nearly double the global rate. And Monica sends in another one that Google and Temasek back an Indian neobank called Open in $100 million of funding. And what publication is this? Uh, why LGBT plus people are celebrating a new bisexual Superman? Well, because he's bisexual. I think that's kind of self-evident, isn't it? LGBT plus comic characters have been around for decades, but this might be the biggest coming out yet. John Kent, the original Superman's son, has been revealed as a bisexual in a very in his very own series. So it's the son of Superman. Why are why are they celebrating a new bisexual Superman? Well, because he's bisexual. I, is that a, is that a big mystery? Okay, next. Um, I think I'm getting really old. I didn't even know he had a son. Next up. Google Cloud unveils carbon footprint tracker satellite imagery suite. That sounds cool. And then Dr. Donish sends in this one, the COVID tech that is intimately tied to China's surveillance state. Heat sensing cameras and facial recognition systems may help fight COVID-19, but they also make us complicit in the high tech oppression of Uyghurs. And SAFE sends in this one from Bloomberg that the most powerful U.S. tech companies put shareholder profit over public interest, according to a letter from public advocacy groups obtained by Bloomberg. Now, this is going to be funny. Critics rebut tech's claim antitrust push risks U.S. security. That's a really poorly worded headline, Bloomberg, but let's try and figure out what the fuck you're trying to say in that headline. A coalition of anti-monopoly groups attacked the claim by U.S. technology giants that bills aimed to crimp their power pose natural security risks, arguing that over-reliance on a handful of companies is more dangerous. The most powerful U.S. tech companies put shareholder profit over public interest, according to a letter from public advocacy groups obtained by Bloomberg News that rejects warnings about... Tyler, that's every publicly traded company, basically, yes. because that's what supposed to do you know is make a profit not, not big, here, big ones small yes. ones here's my ones, point you know? here's the quote big tech is not here to help national security or the public interest but to maintain monopoly rents and market power the group writes it is codified in their corporate structure and law it is the government's job to protect our national security not mark zuckerberg's to which i say yes so why is facebook the one on trial and in hearings about currently about the fact that they uh, are putting profits above the public, public well-being. That's the whole big revelation that they're on trial for by the whistleblower in the Senate hearings and the whole brouhaha when it's, as Ken just said, every company's doing this. So why is Facebook uh, receiving the brunt of the focus in this regard? And I agree with Ken. That's when we go way too damn far. I mean, you swing the pendulum. I, I know the balance, but... If you're going to do that, then why isn't Congress accountable and why should they have a, not have a term limit of at least, you know, six terms? I think there's a Republican who's at 90 or something. Or I, I'm Ken, you can help me. But there's someone that was with Trump on a weekend that's rerunning. Yeah. How, how many times I, isn't he like, doesn't he want to go home and fish? It's just like, I don't care. Democrat, Republican. It's like when you can barely walk. 
do you, you want to hear something more, more, more frightening than that, by the way, even though I think he still got his marbles? He's president pro tem of the Senate. So he's basically fourth in line to the presidency after Nancy Pelosi. So the, the way that they do this thing in the U.S. Senate, they take the oldest member of the majority party. Um, and I think I guess he still holds the position. Well, I'm, I'm, maybe he still holds the position because I'm not sure who controls the Senate. But so actually, because. Maybe the Democrats have somebody now, but they take the oldest member of the majority party um, and say you're president pro tem. So in the presidential succession order, it's president, vice president, speaker of the house, and then president pro tem. And we've had a number of president pro tems, but basically who didn't even have the mental faculties anymore. I mean, so to your point. <laughs> yeah, that's my point. It's just sad. It's just, I mean, and this means if something ever happened to our leaders, we're just fucked. I'm sorry. I don't like these. I mean, it's just sad. I don't care what so side of the, the policy. The on. point of the article really is that in the the government is working to crack down on big tech, and big tech is pushing back by saying, if you crack down on us, the American companies, which is the only ones you can really crack down on, you're going to give an an unfair advantage to the Chinese tech companies who are going to kick our ass, and we are necessary. To uh, in this around the planet, there's a there's a land grab in India and Russia and everywhere, and you're gonna want us, the American tech companies, to beat our Chinese rivals in those countries. So if you kick our ass here in the U.S., you're basically gonna let China's tech take over the rest of the world. So think very carefully about how you regulate big tech in America. To which this group is what this article is about: the coalition of anti-monopoly groups. Uh, claim that the U.S. technology giants um, are lying, that they're using this argument uh, facetiously, that uh, they don't—they're not buying it. When that's why they say it's the government's job to protect our national security, not Mark Zuckerberg's. Big tech. Tyler, yes. you were talking. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, you were talking about Facebook right now. I wasn't with you guys yesterday afternoon on the afternoon. Um, talk did you guys cover did you see that list that facebook um they uh, released about the four thousand people facebook didn't did release it the information leased it we, we, we did it about right. two hours right. ago yeah we did that yeah okay okay sorry so the one. groups are concerned that quote unquote big tech has too much power in the country they are undermining our democracy that they have control they have control that they control our politics and everything else it's very clear they're using national security as a guise to protect their power. To which I will point out that the undermining of the democracy that you're referring to that happens on Facebook, perhaps most notably, and in Twitter, Facebook and Twitter are very fast to point and to the sources of those um, Russia and China, namely, who are using their platforms to undermine democracy. So, in essence, uh, big tech is an accessory to the undermining of democracy, but they would point to precisely the, com the countries that they feel they need to uh, stand up against. And, and now the other side of this, Tyler, is the sad thing, they keep saying big tech, but it's going off of verticals, and I, I'm very weary of that because they've been trying to regulate AI at all levels, even at the startup level, depending on what you're working on, um, artificial intelligence. And if that happens, so check this we out. just... So, 
former yeah. director of national intelligence, Dan Coates, who advised on the paper said lawmakers should consult with national security experts and intelligence communities before meaning the FBI and the CIA before pushing the antitrust bills forward because Coates said the very size and reach of the tech companies makes them valuable partners for the U.S. government. Exactly right. And that's what big tech's trying to tell you is we can be your best friend in all these countries around the world if we get Facebook and Twitter and all and Google and Apple into all these countries like Russia. We can be in a very critically important ally because we can get into all their fucking devices and get all the data about everything. Are you sure you want to shut our shit down and let China get all their devices into everywhere so that they get to know everything that's going on on the fucking planet and we don't? Well, well, the flip side, though, Tyler, now the employees of these big tech companies think they run the company. So just like the other day, we discussed 12 employees at Google who objected to, you know, making drones, got Google to withdraw its cooperation with the Defense Department. So that's a whole other relate. But it's a related issue. Correct. I mean, yeah, the, 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 these companies can be very advantageous to a national Correct. defense if they're letting the, you know if they're not letting the precisely know, right the, the, we had a huge yeah. headline yesterday one of the biggest articles in all the tech yesterday was the chief software dude for the military resigning because he says china's already won because america uh google will not partner with the u.s military in the way that we need them to do for AI, because all the best AI engineers are at Google and the military is begging Google to cooperate with the military and Google saying, sorry, we can't because we've got five employees who say, oh, no, 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 we can't. Uh, we're not we're not going to work for you if you if we're going to work for the military. I, I can't even begin to tell you, even though I was not alive, but I know the history, what a difference this is from where we were in World War Two, where every American wanted to participate, you know, in our, in, in our national defense and do what they can. I mean, it's a, such a completely different attitude than, you know, I don't think they under, I, I don't what? think they understand yeah, the threat. Because... I, you're right. We've all seen the videos of everybody's moms and aunts working in the factories to make the tanks, uh, but, and you, and companies sacrificed greatly to melt their own, you know, machines to make, uh, you know, in the, in the desperate need for iron during the world wars. Uh, we're, we're in the early stages of a potential tech digital world war. And yet the key players are uh, not willing to participate. It's really interesting dynamic. I think I didn't know you you shared that yesterday that article because I wasn't with Tech News yesterday. But yeah, it's funny that um, you know Kai Fu Lee, who was president of Google in China, put out the book AI Twenty Forty One. I just think more people should read the damn book and they'll understand both sides, even engineers, because you you do have a balance. So you have a balance with privacy, you have a balance with freedom, you have a balance with morality, you have a balance with economics. You know, uh, the divide and, and how to make it equitable. But then you also have a balance of security. And that's the true macro balance of everything. Because if any one of those pillars fall, all of them collapse, in my opinion. So the next one is a a USB-C USB iPhone. Chris, you want an iPhone with a USB-C cable? That thing looks pretty uh, ghetto. <laughs> an engineer 
uh, rigged his own iPhone to use a USB-C cable. It's very clever. The, it's kind of a parlor trick, though, because you still got to go through the uh, lightning connector um, in order to get IAC. Um, so he probably can't play any audio. He can probably get data off of it. He can probably charge it, but getting any um, getting any audio or any media off of it has to go through the IAC, uh, the I- iOS authentication coprocessor. So Best Buy making big moves in healthcare with another acquisition, this time UK-based Current Health. Best Buy. <laughs> Best Buy acquires British healthcare company. Bless you. Current Health, thank you. And then Evan sends in, uh, well, I'll save that one for last. Snoop Dogg VC makes first European investment in Casa Verde. Uh, in a Lisbon-based medical cannabis firm. What a surprise. And just a few more here. I'm saving the best for last, though. Philippines tells tech giants to halt sales of text blast kit after election plug. From Reuters here, it says, The Philippines has ordered tech giants Facebook and Alibaba and others to stop allowing sales of cellular equipment used for emergency messaging after text blasts were used to promote a presidential election candidate. The National Telecommunications Commission ordered the platforms to appear before the agency on October 27 to explain why they should not be held liable for allowing sales of the equipment. The the National Telecommunications Commission of the Philippines made public on Tuesday follows an investigation it ordered last week into emergency alert text blasts typically used during natural disasters that contained messages of support for one of the presidential candidates. Under local laws, the sale, manufacture, and importation of equipment that can send a mass text message for free would require NTC approval. The NTC has said the mobile text alerts must have come from illegal channels since the emergency alert short message service is used by disaster agencies. Facebook, Lazada, Alibaba, Shopee, did not immediately respond to requests for comment. This is super interesting. So I'm really wishing our friend Chris Foranoff was here for this one. This is right up his alley where you can, it's like pirate radio, but you're doing pirate SMS messaging and the government doesn't like the message you're sending and they control the airwaves that you're sending them on. Although you can do it, technically you can do it. It's not that difficult to engineer, in fact. Anyone with a decent... Yeah, I mean, because the... The SMS uh, protocol actually runs on email. That too. Like I, I don't know if you guys all remember in the very, very, very earliest days, you could send a text message to somebody like their phone number at vzwwireless. Yeah, if you know their carrier. Yeah, like every carrier does that. You yeah. can every cell phone number is an email address. It's the email. It's the phone number at the carrier. So it's like your phone number at AT&T.com or your phone number at Verizon.com. And that's an, e- an actual email. Most people don't know that. And when they That was on Blackberries it, too. It's on every phone Blackberry. still now, Ellis. It's, this hasn't yeah. gone away. Yeah. Well, I know. I mean, I know, but people don't know. It used to show on Blackberries though. But it's like such an obscure address because it was set up such a long time ago, right? Like, so like uh, AT&T is like MMS.com. AT&T dot whatever. Yeah, it has know? a weird domain, and, yeah. And you need to know the weird ones. But yeah, if you were old school, you knew that that's how you could communicate by text message because that's 
if you ever go to a really old website, when they say, I want to text you, they'll also ask you what your carrier is, right? And that's the tell that they hadn't, you know, this website's ancient because they're still trying to figure out what carrier you have to send you a text message because they know that, you know, like, and then you'll look in the drop downs, it'll be like Sprint and some other carriers that may not even exist now. I think other Sprint does exist. So there's... on Sprint's going to be gone in two yeah, months. That's true. The, the other interesting, the, the interesting part in this, though, is that the the government can't shut down whoever the clever, crafty people were who made this, you know, political SMS campaign. So they're going after the people who sell the parts <laughs> that they must have used. Well, they assume they used. Who knows where they got the antennas and the parts to do this? So they're going after the e-commerce sites who sell the hardware required to pull this off and banning them from selling that hardware. Well, it doesn't matter. They already have the hardware. They're going to do it again. Professor Tyler, I was not listening at the very beginning. How are they mechanically sending the text? Are they doing like stingers or something like that? I can't specify precisely how they're pulling it off, but they're using... um, communications hardware Chris, my, my Chris, point is that, that the, the government's uh means of trying to to subvert it is to stop the sale of normal hardware that can be used for all kinds of things uh it's kind of a little bit of an overreach and i guess yeah. and i guess the government can also obtain the contact details of those people who bought it uh, well, yeah, um, maybe. Well, no, Michelle. No, 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 no. You're oh. now you're saying, ah, there was a flashlight used in this crime. Great, let's find everyone who bought a flashlight in the past twenty years. I, I don't know what is exactly that they banned selling, but probably yeah, but there's there's going to be hundreds of people who bought it, and then what are you going to? Can... Yeah, then they will have all the hundreds of data that they want. No, no, no. You fundamentally don't understand what's happening here. Lots of okay. people buy this hardware for lots of legal purposes. Sure, you could get a database of everyone who's bought this equipment in the last 20 years. You still, the people who made this campaign may have bought it from Malaysia. You don't know. They may not have used e-commerce. So you might be able to generate a list of people who could potentially do this. And then you're going to ask them, did you do this? And they're going to say, no, of course I didn't do that. We found there was a murder. It was done with a kitchen knife. Great. Call Amazon, find out everyone who bought a kitchen knife. What the fuck is that going to do for you? Fucking nothing. Tyler, so what is I, I wanted to say... Philippine oh. government doing now? Huh? So what is the Philippine government doing now? To stop They're them? stopping people from buying kitchen knives on Amazon. Yep. That ain't going to stop it because the, the killer already has the fucking knife. He's going to do it again. But from the tech side, Tyler, I was just going to say data, I think, touched upon it earlier. A lot of this goes back on um, the radio frequencies and what's embedded in hardware and software systems and what we're doing terrestrial on the, on the planet. So people who know can, can engineer themselves around it, which I think is your whole point. But, you know, governments just need to be more informed for making it's just, stupid it's decisions. It's just a That's funny attempt way. to be an author- authoritarian regime in, an, in the digital age. It's not, unless you're China, that's not easy to pull off. And they're not Philippines is in China, so they're, it's going to be impossible for them to do what they're trying to do here. So two more, three more. And the, again, I'm saving the be- I saved these three best ones for last. 
I forget who sent this in, but I believe it was Dr. Donish from Cedar sinai You, oh no, you know who this came from was uh, the guy who was the, uh, the trader in the big short. His name escapes me at the moment. Michael, Michael Burry, Burry Michael tweeted this out yesterday. Uh, the, that UVA light reduced virus loads in COVID-19 patients, according to Cedar sinai Ultraviolet light treatments introduced into the tracheas of five critically ill COVID-19 patients appeared to be safe and associated with a reduction of COVID in those patients who had COVID. By the, but what's so interesting about this is, this is exactly what Trump said to do, what Trump said. to put ultraviolet light inside the body. And everybody laughed. And now Cedar sinai has done it successfully in five five individuals don't, don't don't laugh i was actually you know this was way before i got into any kind of med devices i was like why don't we do ultraviolet on ecmo you know that's the when they pull the blood out of the body and you know use it as your lungs and um yeah i got shot down too so so here's the the la- again saving the two best for last harvard business review says, prepare for U.S. and China to decouple. As I've been warning for many, many months, and now Harvard Business Review is saying the same. The pandemic is likely to accelerate a trend to a bipolar U.S. versus China world. In this context, firms present in Hong Kong and China need to prepare for less friendly environment there. (laughs) Practical steps include reducing the Hong Kong presence Relocating supply chains to politically friendly countries, reevaluate relationships with Chinese firms and researchers, and factor geopolitical risk into environment decisions. From Harvard Business Review. Get ready. Here Tyler, comes the full decoupling uh, with China. You heard it here first. And, and you, Go ahead, LA. Well, you, no, you're right, though. This is funny, though, because I think this allows these pensions to get off. I mean, you've been talking about this, and we have for like six months or shit, but they need an excuse so that they can pull their money out, I guess, and not get fired for their, you know, two and 20% of management fees. Cause it's stupid to me why Harvard's coming out with HBR is coming out with this when this has been known for at least the last eight months. Okay. Next the, and last, I uh, saved the best for last. Oh, let me retweet that. Har- Wait, Tyler. I, I just want to say yep. something. Just now that device, right. That the Philippine government is banning yep. even before they ban it, that device need to be like uh, NTC license in order to obtain it. So apparently there is no, some no, no, legal no, channels. No, 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 so just like drones, if you buy a drone in Thailand, you have to license it. And if you buy radio, telecom, in hardware, governments make you register it. They, but they don't necessarily know that you have it. So if you will, water pumps as well. If you dig a well on your property, you are supposed to go tell the government, hey, government, I just dug a well. I want to register it. Same with telephone equipment. And antennas, they want you to register it because they understand it can be used in very powerful ways. And they're saying now they, of course, require people to register it. And of course, not everyone does. Same with guns. Same with drugs. Same with all kinds of things. A lot of people don't register things with the government. This happens all the time. 
So the fact that they're requiring people to register it, does that mean people will register it? No, not at all. That makes no difference at all. Depends on the, yeah, depends on the country. If it's in Singapore, right. of course they have to. If not, it's illegal. Yeah, yeah of course it's illegal. Right. So, uh, and Singapore is a place where people tend not to do illegal things. People do illegal things. And when they do illegal things, they don't register the hardware with the government. So in the Philippines, uh, them requiring people to register radio antennas. Okay. But uh, what percentage of guns in America are registered? There's a huge, there's a very significant percentage of guns around the world that are not registered. That, that makes no probably difference at all. 40 to, 40, 40 to 70 percent probably not registered. I know that's a crazy wide number, but that's just because, just because so something's illegal doesn't about. stop it from happening. No, but in many states, Tyler, there's not even registration requirements for guns in the United States. So, I mean, it's, it's, they're, yeah, they're but Cheryl's point is that this equipment that they used is required to be registered. That's fine. And it's illegal if they don't register it. That's cool. That doesn't mean they're going to register it. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. But you, no, but as in it is but, illegal to even... Everybody follows the law. You're right. <laughs> no. Well, but sure. Uh, I, I just want to... Wanna... Okay, hold on. The, the equipment say it's illegal even to import and sell it. Right. So they probably bought it. That means the source has to yeah, be legal. Yeah. And... If the source is not legal, it could be paralyzed. That's fine. Import, and then that's illegal. Yeah. No problem. So that's the reason why they want the online... Good. Well, I guess that's why they don't have any uh, illegal activities in the Philippines. They, they, they figured out how to stop all illegal activities in the Philippines. <laughs> and and what's, what's amazing, even in the Philippines with, with, with uh, Duarte trying, you know, assassinating people without trials, he can't control the crime Precisely. problem. Precisely. Even with that. <laughs> And real quickly, I just want to, to Cheryl's point, though, I've been in Singapore and I was with friends, and it is weird. It is in, in Japan, but Singapore more like, I was with some friends, they had a very expensive BMW. He literally left the purse in the car with the windows half down, and I'm like, and we were going to a restaurant, and I'm saying, well, aren't you thinking someone's going to steal the purse? He goes, well, crime, you know, is almost at a minimum. And we were at a big, you know, shopping center and whatever. And I'm saying, so no one will, you know, go in there. They said the risk is too high. Okay. So Singapore has, has you know, it is different. Yes. And maybe Cheryl's coming from that perspective yes. where you get your hands cut off still. Yeah. And so from that perspective, if the world ran that way, it is true, but it's very yeah. different. So the be I saved the best for last. Evan found an absolute uh, brilliant headline about a new male contraceptive device. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a wild one. It's how does that get look? the clips ready? Get the clips. It's ready. called the Coso, C O S O, and it looks like a cup, and it is a cup, and it's a new male contraceptive testicle bath, and it zaps the sperm, and it feels like a warm bath. That's the concept of the new bath-like device to warm the testicles, reducing sperm mobility. The COSO is a small bowl device that creators believe could revolutionize male contraception. This should prevent a pregnancy, the creators say, and is reversible in just a few months' time, allowing your for family planning. The concept has also been trialed in animals so far, but is hoped to progress to humans shortly. Designer Rebecca Weiss 
hopes it will revolutionize contraception as the hunt for a male alternative to the pill. Coil and implant continues. Speaking to speaking of COSO, she said, the device is filled with water and automatically warmed up to operating temperature. The treatment takes just the treatment takes place in sitting position with the legs spread apart. Since the water temperature is just highly above body temperature, the sensation will be comfortable to that of a warm bath. The testicles are placed inside the ultrasounded and ultrasounded for a few minutes. The ultrasound generates deep heat in the testicular tissue. This targeted use of heat alters sperm mobility, which prevents the female egg from being fertilized. In addition, the formation of new sperm is suppressed for a certain period. Therefore, a reliable contraceptive effectiveness is created. Before its first use, the gadget would be configured by a doctor to suit the user's testicle shape and size. Once operational, it can be used at home. It would be used to deliver two 15-minute treatments two days apart. Two weeks later, the contraceptive would prove effective, lasting for at least two months. The COSO app, which could be shared with a partner, would keep track of treatments and remind men when to use the gadget again. It's estimated that fertility should return to normal six months after the last treatment. The COSO website says the science is still hypothetical because it hasn't been proven to stop pregnancies in humans. Its effectiveness is not known, but would probably need to match up to 99% and above success rates of condoms, the pill, and other methods in order to be considered reliable by a consumer. But research has proven that when testes are exposed to high temperatures, for example, hot tubs, saunas, and laptops, sperm counts can temporarily become lower. Rebecca of Munich, Germany, says that the science that underpins her concept has already been proven on animals, and she now hopes to have her design clinically tested on humans. The eventual release date depends on the results of such clinical trials, but the, but she predicts major milestones will be reached in the next two to three years. She says the price depends strongly on whether COSO is declared a as a medical device or a non-medical device. As a consumer product, we hope to be able to offer COSO between 300 and 500 euros. So far, Rebecca says the interest in the product has been overwhelming. There are only two options. Condoms and vasectomy for men to prevent a pregnancy compared to a dozen for women. Many would like more responsibility when it comes to family planning. With the YouGov survey finding a third of British men would be open to using a hormonal contraceptive should one exist. And the COSO is a non-hormonal device, which could attract men even more, considering hormonal contraceptives have a number of drawbacks. Rebecca was inspired to create her device after contracting cervical precancer. She attributes it to a combination of the HPV virus and hormonal contraceptive pills, which some studies say increase the risk of cervical cancer. And she and her partner looked at an alternative birth control. They became frustrated with the lack of methods, which gave the man responsibility. End of article. Thank you so much for that image, Tyler. That was that was also <laughs> close. And, and, and hey, I'm going to be the bad one here. I'm going to be the bad one here representing a woman. You guys deserve this. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I no one's the bad one. Men need to be equal. I agree with this. I'll backdoor, you know, Irvin to find out where this is. But but this is like the jacuzzi. No, but this is like the jacuzzi thing. I mean, I've always believed in that, and you know, thank God I had my son. But he was what planned pregnancy. Why did they not call it the family jewels jacuzzi? Well, my point, but my point is, and my point is, Tyler, I'm sorry. My point is, let me conclude, Cheryl. My point is, though, 
my son was a plan and you know because I didn't grow up with means, so we had to plan him I think men have to have responsibility yeah I grew up hard but I've never bought that shit with the man it's like well you know I didn't know and yada yada and it's on you like step, step up step the fuck up so if men can do this and give but, them a way to LS, do it fine let's be real right. are you right. going to have to show your jacuzzi passport <laughs> Hey, babe, it's Wednesday night. Grab we need to see the app. Wait, wait. What if dinner's going really well and you're like, hang on, sweetheart. I got to go soak, soak the boys for a minute. <laughs> I got to go fry my balls real quick. No, no, no. No, no, Tyler. But but let's keep it Let's keep it 100, right? Well, but the key thing about it, the damn, you said the dinner's going well. But my point is that a lot of guys, you just got to know how to control and, and do what you do. And, and it is, I was just talking about this with a young lady today, believe it or not. Like, you know, parents need to be responsible. So there's a, there's a, a bigger thing here, right? Having kids, if you can't take care of them, and I don't mean just economically, you got to spend time with your kids. If you're going to have kids, spend the damn time. If you don't do it, don't spend the time, right? Because I never knew my real father and I still have pain for that. So spend the time and do it. Do it as much as you can. I don't blame any one person or family, but you know, men, I'm just, I'm 100 on that. They, they have some responsibility. And I've said this to gangsters, you know, even the Snoop, who just, which is good that he's doing shit. But my point is you can do all this and, and certain people, they figure this out. They, they know. I mean, they're not having 30,000 kids running around you know, even though they're very popular or wealthy or rappers, they don't have 30,000 kids running around. So be responsible. Uh, could we could you see this? Could you see about. this in a hip hop video in, in the near future? This could uh, be the hot new oh, thing. I think I think 50 Cent. I was, was just listening to him like earlier. That? 50 100%. would 50 would make it go That's viral what I'm saying. and make it cool. Uh, no, he Till actually the sweat would. Drip no, down no. My balls. <laughs> no. Okay, but, like, instead of saying go low, go low, you want to go so, so, so. Like ultrasound, my body. <laughs> oh, my I can't believe I'm uh, participating in this story. But no, I, I love the fact that the designer is a woman. Um, yes. and, and I think men should be happy. It's not hormonal. It's not intrusive. It's reversible. I mean, I, I, I wish it all the best. If see, Lakeisha, that's what I'm talking about. No, no, but you see how she gets it? No, because it's true. Because if you grow up, it's like... There needs to be both responsibilities. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I, I would I would do it, and I'll report back because I'm not down that my wife has to use uh, hormonal contraceptives. You know, well, it causes um, cancer too, Chris. It no, causes I'm not, cancer. I, I'm, I'm being very sincere. Here. Hey, but Tyler, it's an article implying that the, the reason why Japan um, birth rate went down because uh, people here like to take a photo every night. That could be part of it. Yeah, men men take very hot baths every night in Japan. That could be part of it. By the way, nuttub.com is available for anyone who's... <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's do it. Stop. But you know what? Oh, but they do. You're right. In Japan, they do go to the saunas, the jacuzzis. Every ball night. bath? Yeah, they do. Is ball bath? Yeah, let me check. <laughs> now I understand why you waited for the last one. Let's see. Ballbath.com ba- ball is available. But being, but 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 hey, hey just, guys, what about te- if I can te- bring te- it a little, tubs. okay, 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 Tyler. But if I can bring it higher, just a, just a slight bit. Being real on the on from this, because this is true to my heart. I think women's, you know, cancers are growing. Ovarian cancer, Lakeisha, you can help me and others on the room, Cheryl. Like you know, ovary cancer, and a lot of this is, I think, caused by pharmaceuticals of women taking a lot of things and 
thank God that my son's mother, we just agreed. She didn't take anything. She was natural. And she's like, she's from Ethiopia. She's like, I'm not taking nothing. We, so. we, um, we, we avoided taking any birth control. And we literally thought we were getting lucky for years and years. We did IVF with my daughters. And my boy was an oopsie. You know, when my doctor asked us, do you want birth control? My wife and I looked at each other and started laughing. You know, like, sure, we need birth control. We just spent, you know, half a fortune on two kids. We need I birth control. Tyler sure. is sending us out with this. Thank you so much. Everyone. Alrighty. Thank See you. Him. Hey, oh, Tyler, yep. you have to schedule your next session. You haven't scheduled it yet. Okay, thank you. Right. See you, everybody. Thank you, Tyler. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys.